There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Good morning, it's Dee here with you on this Friday morning. We have a lot to talk about on the show today, so buckle up, get yourself a cup of coffee. If you want to know the detail of the July stimulus package, we'll be talking about that in just a moment with Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, Cork TD, of course. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about that and how you might benefit from it. What's in it for me, you might ask? Let's hope we can answer that question. Uh, we will be taking your questions on this, 83 396 is the number to send them in by text or WhatsApp or you can call the team on 1850 715 996 and Fergal and Nicole will take your questions. Also going to be talking this morning for those of you who are less interested in the political end of things about uh, Jared who's been reunited with his stolen dog. We've been talking about stolen dogs all week and um, another story in relation to that. We'll also be talking about the missing, the case of the missing heron in Cove, something that um, has local people absolutely Absolutely furious. Talk about that in a little while. But first, I will welcome Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, to the show. Good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, Deirdre. Hope Apologies. you're Good morning, well. Minister, I should call you now. We're so right. used to just calling you're you fine. Michael. Um, Michael will do fine. You've had a busy couple of days launching this plan, and it is one of the biggest spending packages ever announced um, in the country, I suppose, in response to a very unprecedented time. Um, it is, Deirdre. It is a very ambitious um, investment really by government but it's also completely necessary so what we announced yesterday was a combined tax and spending uh, package of over 5 billion euro and then on top of that uh, the state is going to guarantee uh, lending of uh, up to 2 billion euro to businesses uh, around the country as well so in total it's over 7 billion euro the overall objective of this really is to protect uh, existing jobs that we have in the economy uh, and then to help the employers to, to uh, support the creation of more jobs and to help people who unfortunately lost their job as a result of COVID-19 to get back to work uh, and so there, there 
is a whole suite of measures there uh, in terms of extra grants for businesses, uh, an extension and expansion of the commercial rates waiver, for example. Uh, we're putting about a half a billion more into capital spending, which we want to see happen uh, before the end of the year, and then a range of measures on the taxation side, such as the, the staycation tax break, um, tax back for businesses who are incurring a loss this year, but made a profit last year, and they can claim back this year the, the tax that they paid last year on those profits uh, and the VAT rate cut uh, of the standard rate and, and a lot of other issues. So I'll cover whatever part of it you, you're, you're most interested in, but, mm-hmm. but there's a lot there. Okay. I suppose um, there's this very clear sense in this with the timeline of it. The pandemic unemployment payment, for example, is running until the 1st of April. There's a sense that this is not going away this winter. You're expecting a second wave to, to hit, I suppose, financially as well as medically, aren't you? Well, I think we have to plan on the basis that the pandemic is not going to just disappear. And we're all looking at the latest numbers every day of uh, new cases of COVID-19 and and tragically um, deaths, though not every day. And the reality is that while, you know, it would appear internationally, there is a lot of progress being made on uh, a possible treatment uh, and a possible vaccine. There's nothing certain on that front. And I think we do need to uh, plan and uh, evolve into learning to live with this virus and for society to function as normally as possible and for our economy to function uh, as, as normally as possible as well. And that is the challenge and that is going to mean extra supports from government uh, for uh, businesses who are providing the jobs uh, and for workers as well. So this is uh, a measure three weeks into the life of a new government. It is a major package of measures. It's not going to be um, the final set of measures we bring in in less than three months' time. There will be uh, a budget and there will be a new national economic plan. Um, But I think what we announced yesterday, uh, I think, will make a difference. I I know for a fact it will help um, to protect a lot of jobs we have in the economy, particularly through the extension of the wage subsidy scheme, which is a really important scheme uh, for employers uh, to continue to hold on to the jobs they have. But more importantly than that, it now allows them to take on new staff and those staff can be entered onto the wage subsidy scheme. And that wasn't the case uh, up until now. Uh, it only applied to people who were on the books of an employer back in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously for you know businesses in the tourism, hospitality industry, February wouldn't be the busiest month of the year. Uh, and so they couldn't take new people on uh, in the summer uh, they now can do that uh, and that is effective immediately uh, and we're committing to continuing with that scheme uh, right out to the end of March. Uh, so that's a major commitment. The government is going to continue to pay you know, a significant proportion of the wages of, of workers of tens of thousands of, of employers. Okay. In terms of the um, the pandemic unemployment payment, then that is going to be cut in line in line with um, past incomes. That's obviously the government saying that the 350 is not sustainable. So, yeah, it is going to be reduced gradually uh, over a period of time uh, and the uh, last of the recipients will uh, transition to the normal job seekers rate uh, by the 1st of April next year. I think it is a recognition of the fact that for every three people who are currently on the, the, the PUP payment, as it's called, the pandemic unemployment payment, there are another two people who are on the standard job seekers, benefit of job seekers allowance, and they're currently paid a lower rate. So if you lost your job in January or February or even in the first half of March, 
you're on a different rate of payment to somebody who lost their job since mid-March. Um, so there is an issue of equity there. Mm. But in, in tandem with the changes that we've announced uh, to the pandemic payment, we are uh, committing to uh, providing about €200 million Euro for about 75,000 places across a range of labour activation measures, training schemes, uh, employment opportunities, work experience placements, um, allowing people to use the PUP as a gateway to back to education, for example, mm-hmm. um, and the back to work enterprise allowance for people who want to start up, start up their own business. So we're trying to manage this transition in a very gradual way and by providing the supports that are needed to help people ultimately get back to work, which is you know what people want to do. Okay, um, we might come back to that in a moment because there are some sure. specific measures in that that are quite interesting. Um, but I suppose the thing that has got the most headlines already today and that has the most pe- most people exercised is the stay and spend initiative. So it's sure. the idea of a tax break for people who are able to spend, um, I think it was up to €600 Euro on a staycation that can be in their own local area or can be elsewhere in the country. Um, but of course people are saying that this only rewards people who are able to spend that and it only rewards people who are paying enough tax that they can actually claim a tax rebate. Would it not have been easier to give people a voucher? So um, it it is true that you have to spend the money uh, first, but you don't have to necessarily go on an extravagant weekend away or anything to start uh, getting the the benefit of this. So uh, in essence, the way it will work is that for a couple, for example, um, they can spend up to uh, €1,250 and then get um, 20% of that back uh, through the tax system. And but it if can they're be done, a couple, say, of carers and they're not paying tax, um, they're not able to claim that back, even if they had it in the first place? So, yeah, it, it is administered through the tax code. It is a tax credit. So, as well as people who have an income tax liability, it is also available to people who pay USC. Uh, so even if somebody doesn't pay income tax but pays USC, uh, they can get it back uh, through the tax system uh, as a credit against their USC. And, you know, most people, not everyone in the country, but the majority, vast majority of people um, are paying either income tax uh, or USC. Uh, any single transaction to a value of €25 Euro or more, um, the rebate applies to. So a couple that spends €50 Euro on um, a lunch or what would be a very cheap uh, night out uh, would get €10 Euro of that back uh, through the tax system. And I, I think it's important that whatever scheme is put in place is operable and that it actually works and the revenue commissioners know how to get things done. Uh, they were instrumental in getting the wage subsidy scheme up and running and actually administering it and putting it into operation uh, and they will do this in a very user-friendly way as well so the vast majority of people will benefit from it uh, and it is designed to support um, the tourism and hospitality sector uh, accommodation providers um, and, and restaurants essentially. Okay. Um, in terms of the higher rate of VAT, then um, obviously the hospitality industry had been hoping for a drop in the rate of VAT that applies to them. That hasn't been the case. This this um, this tax rebate scheme is there instead. Um, the drop in the higher rate of VAT, though, this is it's a very wide ranging measure. Who who's it intended to benefit? Yeah, well, just first of all, I mean, the tourism uh, and hospitality industry is getting a lot more than just that staycation uh, tax break. I mean, the the wage subsidy scheme is invaluable for them, uh, as is the uh, enhancement to the business restart grant. So now grants of up to €25,000 will be given to individual businesses, uh, and the number of businesses that can avail of that um, is being dramatically expanded because we've widened the criteria very substantially. uh, And then there's a, a full commercial waiver 
uh, for a six-month period, um, and that will only exclude very large rate payers uh, who can afford to pay. So those measures are really of benefit as well. And Fault Ireland has been given extra money uh, to design a scheme to provide further support for uh, the tourism sector. Just turning to the the issue of that, I mean, we our standard rate of that, you know, up to today of 23% is is high by international standards and a cut in that is a very progressive measure because the burden of that tax is felt most heavily by people on lower incomes um, it, uh, it, it it casts a pretty wide net the application of that VAT rate so you know it would be uh, adult clothing uh, and footwear for example all types of furniture and white goods hardware computers um, even alcohol sold in a pub or a restaurant and there's a whole range of measures that are covered by the 23% VAT rate and let's be honest retail as we know has suffered um, really seriously as well in addition to tourism and hospitality this measure will help uh, the retail sector and it will help consumers so it is an effort just to relieve the burden uh, a little bit uh, and I think it will it will be of benefit. Okay. During the week, um, Minister, I suppose, obviously we're, we're looking at this huge amount of money. Um, one caller has already called in to ask why we are paying more into the EU fund than we are getting out of it. Um, that's I'll put that to one side for a moment. Um, sure. Obviously, we're getting ourselves into huge debt here. This is going to be a huge borrowing. This is going to have to be paid back. People, I suppose, like yourself and myself, who came through the last um, recession and the austerity, are, I suppose, quite afraid of borrowing and of what the implication of that is going to be long term. In that context, legislation being enacted to give €16,288 extra to a third super junior minister does not come across very well. Okay, just just a few points and I'll come to that specific issue then. Uh, Yes, we are borrowing an awful lot of money this year. It will be in the region of €30 billion of a deficit. Um, Government spending has had to ramp up dramatically in response to COVID-19. So at the beginning of this year, it was expected that total government spending for the year would be about £70 billion. It's now going to be coming in at over £86 billion. So that's the amount of extra money that is being pumped into the economy just to help people and to help businesses uh, to get through this period. And that will result in the large deficit. Um, but it is necessary spending and we are able to borrow uh, at very low interest rates uh, at the current time. On the issue of the Minister's Estate, so the situation there is that there are three Ministers of State um, who attend Cabinet. Uh, uh, at the moment, under law, only two Ministers of State can get the extra allowance for uh, attending the Cabinet. So I would have discussed this issue because it was on my desk when I came into the Department and I would have discussed it with the three party leaders uh, to get their view on it. Uh, and I think the general view and my own view was that how could you pick uh, which one is not going to get the, the allowance, uh, that the fairest thing to do was to treat them all uh, equally uh, and so that is what is being done. It's not a special bill, it's an amendment uh, to uh, existing legislation and that amendment is going through as part of uh, a different piece of legislation uh, yesterday and today in the Oireachtas. I think it is correcting an anomaly. I think it you know, people who uh, are attending uh, at Cabinet as a Minister of State, they should be treated the same, whatever the same is, 
and if two are getting the allowance, then I I I, I wouldn't like to be choosing which one doesn't get it. Um, and so which that's on a subjective personal level, absolutely fine, and nobody would suggest that one of the three isn't as entitled to something as the others. But in the overall picture, were there was there a need for three super juniors? Is there a need for as many special advisors as there are? Is there a need for people to have aid to come who have never had aid to come before? Um, there is a sense that this government is spending left, right and centre because that is necessary in terms of keeping people in jobs. But there's also a sense that they're spending left, right and centre from the public purse on jobs for the boys. Um, yeah, well, that's that's not the case, and that certainly won't be uh, allowed to happen. I mean, there were four ministers of state attending cabinet uh, in the last government. Uh, it's now three uh, in this government, one from each of the three parties uh, in the government, uh, and yeah, of course, we do. And did have they all to be get the allowance in the last government? No, but that was very controversial. Um, one minister actually ended up having to pay money back because the allowance was paid, um, but there was no legal basis for it to be paid. Um, Regina Doherty, she ended up paying money back, um, and that had to happen because it shouldn't have been paid in the first place. Um, and then the fourth minister of state uh, was not uh, was not given the payment, and uh, the the issue was not brought before the Oireachtas by way of legislation or anything like that. Um, so look, I mean, we're talking about, you know, one amount here mm. of €16,000. We are, know, but it, when you it add suits, it to... It suits the opposition to, you add it you know, to dri- Garda drivers for ministers who previously didn't have them, add it to aid to come for Leo Varadkar who, who wouldn't have had one um, in, in a previous government in his position now. Um, there's a sense from the public that there is an awful lot of spending being done in a time that a lot of people are suffering. Yeah, a lot of people are suffering and that is why the, we are putting the supports in place that people really need and providing that uh, income certainty out to next spring and um, helping employers to uh, retain that connection with existing employees and to give them the best possible chance of taking on new workers. Um, that is our focus and of course we have to be very, very conscious uh, and sensitive to the reality that many, many people are facing uh, in our country at this time. And these are always controversial issues. And there have been special advisors for a very long time uh, in the political system. Um, I have one advisor working with me at the moment, and I can tell you that in the three and a half weeks I've been here, I would not be able to do the job uh, in the way that I have done it uh, without that extra support. Um, But I mean, that's one person who's there to assist and, um, you know, but yeah, we have to take on board the, the feedback and the points that people make. Okay. Uh, in terms then of the people, I suppose, who, who are listening to us now, one caller says pensioners are not being treated right with government programmes. They couldn't get proper pandemic benefit. So this is people who are drawing a pension, but who are also yeah. had also been earning. Now they cannot avail of the staycation relief. My dad is a key part of my household and I am living with him. Why is there so much different for pensioners? And we've had three other calls about that. Yeah, and look, as, as a TD, I, I'm very well aware of that issue and would have been contacted by many, many pensioners when the pandemic unemployment payment was introduced um, several months ago. And there are many people aged 66 and over uh, who are continuing to work um, and who are you know, running their own business and self-employed. When the scheme was originally set up, um, they were not included in the scheme. You know, we are in a phase now of unwinding the scheme. The scheme is coming to, the, to an end 
in the coming months. So it wasn't possible to open it up and expand the scheme uh, at this time. It would have been hard to do that, I think, in, in a fair way uh, to everybody. Um, and I would acknowledge that, but I would, would make the point that on the Stay and Spend initiative, you know, many, many pensioners do pay tax, um, many pay income tax, and many of them uh, do pay USC. And certainly anyone with an income uh, above and beyond the state pension uh, is still contributing tax uh, and, you know, will be in a position to uh, avail of this. But I would just make the but point... I would imagine there, in, that, in that example that that person has given, if that pensioner, sorry, I'll go, that, that man, yeah. we'll call him John, if John was, for example, working as a, whatever, a private bus driver on top of getting his pension and um, John was laid off at the time of COVID because the buses aren't, those private buses aren't operating, he hasn't been entitled to claim the pandemic payment, he doesn't have an income and now he can't claim tax back on the um, on the staycation relief because he hasn't been paying tax this year. Yeah, I mean, I would just point out that what was announced yesterday really is a jobs initiative. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's not uh, a complete budget. I mean, the budget will be in October. This is an initiative and a package of measures that was put together really over a, a two to three week period that was designed to provide emergency support to the economy um, to keep people in jobs and to help people get back to work and that is the the focus of this. We uh, were not able to resolve uh, every problem across the system. Like in my own department, I have to oversee the overall uh, public expenditure and there were many many billions of euro of asks coming in from the different line departments Mm. that they wanted included in this package. But this package, it had to be very focused uh, on jobs and uh, you know all of the measures that are in it are designed in one shape or form um, to protect existing jobs to help create new jobs and to give businesses a fighting chance of getting through a very tough period um, but it wasn't possible to you know resolve every issue or uh, to uh, implement changes to things that had been done previously by the last government. Okay. Rachel is a hairdresser. She says, is there any help for hairdressers who were busy for the last few weeks since they reopened, but now business has quietened back down? Hairdressers are on commission, so quiet again means no wages. Um, I assume they can avail of the wage subsidy scheme, can they? Yes, they can. Um, so the wage subsidy scheme will be there now through to the end of March uh, for hairdressers and um, all those other businesses. Uh, the restart grant uh, that they may already have availed of is now being increased. So, for example, if they got a grant of €10,000 already, that will now be increased to €25,000. So the, the, the range was 2000 to 10000 and it's now gone from 4000 to to 25000 We're also uh, including... Uh, sports clubs that have, have rateable premises uh, in that as well and also B&Bs that are currently not rateable are being included um, the commercial rates um, for the hairdresser is also being fully waived uh, out to the end of September and we'll review it again at that stage um, and also then you have the, the new credit guarantee scheme and I would have met with the banks with um, the Taunish Minister for Finance last week and just emphasised to them the need for these schemes to be attractive because the drawdown on some of um, the loan schemes has been very limited. Now that's because a lot of businesses don't want to take on extra debt but for some 
it is necessary and the scheme should be attractive because basically what we're doing is the government is saying we're going to guarantee 80% of that loan. So if that loan goes wrong, uh, the government and all of us as taxpayers uh, are picking up uh, four-fifths of that tab. So that means in return the banks have to lend out that money on attractive terms and give it to the people who really need it. So like, there are a range of measures there that, um, that she and others will, will be able to benefit from. Okay. Um, Back to, I suppose, there was a couple of more detailed items, the education, I'm going to come to that in a moment, but in relation to housing, um, as you say, this isn't a full budget, so I know you will have more housing measures coming in the budget. Um, There is an energy retrofitting budget there and money to refurbish vacant local authority houses, which I'm sure will be welcomed. Um, In the help to buy scheme, there's a help to buy scheme there, but given the lack of supply in the market, wouldn't it have made more sense to give a renovation grant or something like that? So just one final point on, on the hairdresser there, mm-hmm. the, there is the issue of the um, income tax relief as well. So if they are making a loss this year, uh, which is very likely, but paid tax last year, uh, they, they will now be able to claim back this year tax that was paid last year. So that would be a direct cash injection into the business as well. Mm-hmm. And we estimate that between companies and the self-employed, that should release back about 600 million uh, directly in cash. So normally you can carry forward losses yeah. and set them against future profits but we're allowing people to carry them back uh, and to release uh, back to the, the business uh, tax that was paid previously. So that's that's an innovative measure, mm. but it's one that could be of real value for people that are, are struggling in business this year, uh, but paid tax last year. On the issue of housing, so yeah, we are providing uh, the extra money, as you say, for uh, so fixing vacant local authority houses. Uh, the councils have made a lot of progress, to be fair, in fixing the voids that they have, but they always need more money. We're providing that extra money to them now um, and of the half a billion euro extra that we're providing overall this year for capital spending like I want that spent this year I want it done I don't want that to be carried into next year and mm. um, there will be one scheme for retrofitting that I think will go into next year but otherwise you know we want this money spent and it is now available for local authorities to draw down uh, and to fix vacant local authority stock the help to buy scheme uh, so it is being improved uh, to um, a grant of up to €30,000 or 10% of the purchase price of a new house for first-time buyers, so whichever is the is the lower of those two. And I think it will help in a number of ways. It will um, help first-time buyers, undoubtedly, and I think it will also help to um, improve the supply of new homes to the market because there are, there are serious viability challenges, if mm-hmm. we're to be honest about it, in the delivery of new homes to the market. And we need new homes for first-time buyers, for the rental market. But don't um, these schemes tend to just push up the, push up the prices? I, I, I don't think so because if you look at the the housing market and the mortgage market at the moment, the reality is many people can't access a mortgage and that's an issue that um, uh, I raised with the banks last week. People who are on the wage subsidy scheme, for example, mm. even who had mortgage approval, but when it came to drawdown were being asked to provide, you know, four pay slips in a row without the wage subsidy on it uh, and that issue uh, needs to be dealt with so look it's hard to predict house prices but I don't think anyone really is predicting uh, growth in house prices uh, over well, we, the period We spoke to an auctioneer on the show actually it was yesterday the day before yeah. who said that they've never been busier yeah, they've never been busier, yeah. Well, look, let's see how things settle down. Uh, but I think the reality is a lot of first-time buyers uh, do need extra help, uh, and this is there to support them. Home ownership, I think, is a legitimate 
aspiration for a lot of people and this will make it more achievable for young couples and individuals to, to, to buy their first home and I think it will, it will help the housing market overall and I think it will help the supply of new homes to the housing market. Okay, now there is money in this as well, we'll just come on to education before we finish up. Um, there's money in this for schools, uh, small amounts of money for schools to be able to um, get uh, small works done and bathrooms and things like that for yeah. reopening. Does that mean that, like how soon will schools be able to draw that down because it's a very short time between now and September to find somebody to do work and get it carried out? So that's available immediately and it's essentially a doubling of the, the grants that the schools get for, for minor works. It is only part of the response that needs to be put in place to enable the schools to open and that is you know, a top priority to make sure that the schools open uh, as normal at the end of August. Uh, so the, the full plan for that uh, will be released uh, in the next week and I know that the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, is going to the Department of Education today to meet the Minister and all the officials and to get a detailed update on the work that is ongoing there. Norma Foley, the Minister, um, has put in a huge amount of work uh, with all of the education partners, the trade unions, the patron bodies, the principals, just to have everything arranged. There will be extra funding required from my department to make sure that the schools can reopen. That will be primarily for uh, substitute teachers so that uh, um, you know the class sizes are not going to be allowed to be too big and if a teacher is out sick for example you know the normal practice of dividing the class mm. and sending them into other classes is just not going to be an option um, under these circumstances so we need to have a much expanded panel of substitute teachers and then there will be some um, expenditure required for you know whether it be PPE equipment hand sanitizers all of the normal things that are needed so that money will be provided uh, we're working working with um, Minister Foley and, and her team to finalise that package um, but I am determined that uh, cost will not be the reason for schools um, not reopening and uh, we're determined to ensure that they do reopen so yesterday's announcement deals with the, the works element of it, mm. uh, the remainder of it for substitution and, and the purchase of those equipment and so on will be separate and that will be finalised I'd say in the next few days. Okay, uh, Just mentioning there on education as well, you, you um, went into that a little bit earlier that they're basically you're hoping that the people who are on the pandemic unemployment pay payment should it turn out that it's not feasible for them to return to their jobs will be streamed into some type of um, education or upskilling um, obviously you're looking at a lot of hospitality and retail workers who may just not be able to go back to work at any point in the next six months or, or a year um, what kind of things are being put in place for them to upskill and in, into what kind of industries yeah. are, are you going to put them so it's a very wide range of different schemes in different places. You're looking at around 75,000 extra places being provided. Some would be in further and higher education um, and some would be through the Department of Social Protection, um, including expanding existing schemes, um, community employment schemes, two schemes, um, a work placement and experience program. We are expanding the apprenticeship program as well and giving money to employers to take on apprentices. We're going to allow people to use the PUP payment to be a gateway to uh, the back to education allowance, which is a really valuable support for people who want to return to education to mm. upskill and retrain uh, and also for people who want to um, uh, set up their own business. They'll be supported through grants and through the back to work enterprise allowance uh, and in the education area 
so Minister Harris will be unveiling further details there today, but there's about 35,000 places there uh, across the further and higher education sector, um, including different schemes such as skill nets, uh, the retrofitting program, um, uh, the springboard program, postgraduate places, um, and so on. There's a whole range of them that will be, will be outlined in detail later today. Okay. Uh, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate Thanks, that. Thanks, Deirdre. Thank have you. a good weekend. Thank you. you. Too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it, folks. That's the stimulus package. It is an unprecedented spending package announced in a very unprecedented time. Obviously, there's going to be different issues that people have with it. The pensioners, I suppose, is the one that really sticks, sticks out. We had a number of calls about that. Um, as the Minister said, this isn't the budget. So there is a budget going to come in the next few months, which will have more complete... Um, I suppose, umbrella overview of the different government departments. This one is targeted, he said, at the economy and keeping the economy running. Um, interested to know your thoughts on that. Um, Anne says, the government are doing their best. Steps taken can be adjusted over time. For example, the opposition are whinging about no VAT decrease in the hospitality sector. There's no value here if customers are not returning in this instance due more to COVID. The customer incentive of €125 Euro per person for a certain spend will encourage customers to, con- to continually return to hotels, restaurants once they start taking short breaks and dining out again over the next few months. To be honest, some hotels could well afford not to charge for children under 10 sharing parents' room. Abroad, the charges per room, not per person. I remember when our children were young, up to 1990, we got many great midweek breaks in hotels in Ireland, children free. Um, I do are they children free breaks or breaks where the children were free and uh, I'm not sure which I would favour. Um, a lot of different comments, some of which I have read. Um... A texter says, how come I can get a discount of more than €125 for a hotel stay on, for example, pigsback.com? That's up to them, I suppose, Johnny. And does it not make more sense to give a voucher to everyone in the country to spend and build up the economy? Well, I asked him that and he he reckoned this was the easiest way to implement it. He said, uh, someone else wants to know, hi, can you ask, I'm on the wage subsidy scheme, so if I lose my job, will my statutory redundancy be based on my COVID earnings or my original earnings? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know is the answer to that. Um, sorry, I didn't get to that one. Regarding the help to build, I don't know about help to build. I only saw help to buy. Um, so I'm not sure about that caller. I'd say you'll have to check that out with the um, department directly. Kev says, like all these announcements, the devil is in the detail. Let's see in a month how difficult people find accessing these funds. Yeah, I had seen a number of businesses talk about the business restart grant being very hard to get um, or to get near. Even At the time, it wasn't much. Now it's a considerable amount of money, in fairness. And says the help to buy scheme should be for houses under 330000 only. Who can afford a mortgage of 300000 and childcare? This will help first-time buyers get on the property ladder. Yeah. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying there, definitely. Um, but the problem is there's very few houses in that bracket now, certainly in the city. Um, I mean, when we were looking four years ago, there were very few normal family homes even in that bracket within the city. Um, again, a, a new build, certainly. If you were looking for something on a city street that is semi-derelict, you would definitely get it. But people don't want to do the work on those and it's very hard to get tradesmen anyway. Um can Michael be asked if there's any help for the solo self-employed? Yeah, I think there was a couple of things in there that you're probably entitled to as well. Um, with regard to the hairdressers, somebody who's employed by a hairdressing company paid in commission. Do I contact my gov and say my wages are poor again, hopefully for only a few weeks, or do I have to contact head office of the business I work for? Don't know, Rachel. I'd say um, contact my gov first and see what they say. 
you know um, Graham says funding to ensure schools reopen PPE for staff and students cleaning products yeah he addressed all of those new cleaners extra teachers those were all mentioned sub cover that was mentioned um, it was mentioned yeah I mean Graham says given how late it is even if it was all done today full reopening isn't happening yeah I don't know Graham um, he did say all that is being announced this week um, or in the next few days so that money is there for schools and he said finance is not going to be the reason they don't reopen if there is any problem the, the money will not be an issue Um I have lots more uh, comments about different things this morning. Um, but I'm going to speak to Lorna Bogue from the Green Party in a moment. We were waiting yesterday for the result of the Green Party leadership battle uh, between Catherine Ryan and Damon Martin. It was very, very, very close in the end, 51 to 48%, um, something like that. I don't know what the other, what, 2% were doing. Um, but it was, or 1% even, were, um, it was very, very close and closer certainly than I think the national media had been anticipating. Um, I'll be speaking to Lorna Bogue from the Green Party about that in just a moment. 083 96 96 96 is the number to text or WhatsApp. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. So there's been a lot of consternation within the Green Party in the last few days. Saoirse McHugh has left, and I think there's going to be a number of other departures as well. Lorna Bogue, are you going to be one of them? Um, well, not for the time being. I think consternation is a bit of an understatement. Um, it's a little bit more than that um, at the moment. Um, it's a very, very deep feeling of um, unhappiness and um, dissatisfaction with the party. Um, and I suppose that is that, that did kind of feed into the uh, leadership election results that we saw last night because um, even internally within the party, we weren't really expecting... Um, it to be so close. We were kind of expecting um, Eamon to run away with it, really. So um, for for almost half the party to say at this point that they want a new leader is kind of a bit, bit, bit uh, I, I'd say he's, I'd say he's a bit shook, you know, um, by that. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's 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 more than consternation. I mean, like a lot of people who were resigning yesterday, um, to some very good Cork Greens actually, um, who I, I just want to pay tribute to as well. I mean, Rob O'Sullivan um, was our um, press officer and was brilliant in the role. Um, we wouldn't have gotten the number of councillors we got without them. Um, you know, so it's very sad um, to be honest. Mm. Um, um, all these people going. Um, I'm I'm still kind of making up my mind, but for me, um, I still have a bit of unfinished business to do with the party. Um, something that I found kind of disturbing yesterday um, was just the number of people who were saying that because of bullying and because of a toxic culture within the party that particularly they were leaving. And I was chatting to a few people yesterday um, after they left and the, across the board, everyone was saying how relieved they were to have left the party. And it was like a weight off their shoulders. And, you know, thank God they didn't have to be putting up with that um, kind of behaviour anymore, um, you know. So it's um, from who? Um, well, from senior party members, and um, I suppose a culture in the party in general, which is quite hostile towards um, young women in particular, but also young people or anyone, in fact, who doesn't have the same opinion um, as those who um, are in cabinet. Um, and you know, that's that's something that I've been kind of on the. I've been outspoken about it, and I've mm. been on the brunt of it for over a year now um, but um, you know other people 
came out yesterday and you know like in some sense it was really sad to read it for me personally because having gone through it myself I don't like to see it happen to other people but in another sense it was good because actually there is a problem um, and we have to do something about it Um, and it's the same with any other party but it's just Mm. funny to me that you know like this kind of stuff can happen you know in Sinn Féin for example and it's Well this is exactly what I was going to say Lorna the last mm-hmm. time a political party had a lot of young candidates elected in in a wave um, the exact same thing happened the, I remember having this exact conversation with um, members of Sinn Féin who were leaving the party elected councillors actually quite a, quite a number mm-hmm. of them um, who left the party after being elected last time out citing bullying um, there was misogyny cited do you think mm-hmm. that's just politics? Um, I would hope that it isn't really, um, you know, because it's going to be a very tough time. I mean, like, uh, wh- wh- what are we what are we going to do? Just like let this slide and let things stay the way they are and then continue to have a political scene in Ireland where it's 77 percent male mm. um, in the upper echelons. Um, if we're lo- even if we look at Cork City Council, six out of 31 are women, mm-hmm. um, which is not representative um, of the population of Cork, um, so um, I'm 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 staying for the moment just because um, I do have a bit of unfinished business to do. I'm not happy um, to let this slide. Um, I'm saying I'm not happy a lot at the moment. I would quite like to be a happy person, <laughs> um, but um, you know, at the moment, I, I I'm I'm dissatisfied to let that particular mm. thread slide and let it go because um, you know already internally what I've been seeing from conversations in the party is as soon as Saoirse left well the recriminations began mm. about Saoirse um, and you know who does she think she is and all of this kind of crack um, and you know the woman like did amazing stuff um, for us and for the party um, and this is this is kind of the time well, to, an, to an outsider I don't know if that's the case because to an outsider what it maybe looks like is that she came in she didn't get elected she constantly criticised the party and then she left um, like from the outside it looks like she, she didn't do you any favours um, I wouldn't say so because having been on the doors myself um, she used to come up on pretty much every tenth door for me anyway mm. um, I'd say she added one or two percent to our national vote I really? mean like the way that she well yeah I mean like particularly during that particular local election um, and you know people say oh you know Saoirse she was only at it for a year and then she's giving up like she's not giving up but like she's been discouraged she's been actively discouraged um, by the political party that she's in. Mm. Um, and that's that's the problem here. And, you know, all of these powerful narratives of victim blaming that are used against women all the time, um, we're starting to see them crop up again um, about Saoirse McHugh. Like, there's something about her that just seems to particularly irk um, people in general. And it's because she's a confident and outspoken and strong young woman. And she won't change her mind. And she won't do things that but would you not would you not principles. say that certain you know a level of compromise is necessary in politics um i think compromise is necessary if you're actually getting something out of it i don't think compromise is an end in and of itself which unfortunately the green party seems to have a belief that compromise in and of itself is the main 
name the game and the goal. Um, like compromise is a tool that you use in politics in order to get what you want through or as close as to what you want through. Um, and unfortunately, like we're, we're not seeing a lot of give and take at the moment. Um, between the Green Party and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I mean, like, even, for example, um, you know, because I'm a policy person, right, um, and I look at the money, so even, for example, this £500 million that, you know, the Green Party is going to go out on um, over the next few days and say, you know, well, look at this money that we've secured. I mean, like, that money was in the National Development Plan. Um, so uh, that's already in place. Um, so we're we're even at the point now where we're sort of claiming things that were going to happen anyway are things that we managed to do. And then we're not actually pushing Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael beyond anything that they don't really want to do. Um, and like even, even this help to buy scheme at the moment, I mean, you know, for God's sake, like every time that help to buy scheme comes in, it just adds more money to the price of houses. Yeah, so that's why kind of what I thought too. Well, um, but, yeah. In, t- in terms well, of the, um, the bike to work scheme has been extended, including up to 1500 on e-bikes. I mean, that's an unmistakable Green Party initiative. Um, well, I would have to look into that particular one. Um, but I mean, like, if you're extending things to up to 1500 on e-bike, I would kind of be questioning, well, who exactly would have the money to afford such a thing? And who well, it's exactly on the bike to work scheme, help? so you're paying it off your, your tax. Mm, yeah, yeah. Anybody um, with a regular wage would, would be able to afford that. That's a, that's a small, I mean, com- in comparison to a car. Yeah, well, I mean that's true. That's true. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to um, not give credit where it's due. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm happy enough to accept that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, if you're looking at things like the homelessness crisis or, um, you know, the health crisis that, um, you know, we were having before all of this started, mm. um, you know, like things like things like the help to buy scheme are not really going to help with housing and renting. And, you know, I, I, I suppose you were having a conversation with people before I came on about that as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, like it, it doesn't it doesn't really, you know, like get to the very heart of the issue. Um, you know, but I, I suppose I don't really want to be sort of, you know, giving out all the time because, um, you know, it gets a bit wearing to do that. Um, and I, I, I am staying in the party for the time being just to be that constructive voice mm. um, that is actually pulling the party hopefully back um, to its principles and getting it to stand its ground um, a bit more um, on on issues like housing, which is what we went to the electorate with, um, and health, uh, which is what we went to the electorate with. Um, so um, I, I suppose something that um, we've... See, we've I don't know if a lot of the electorate that voted for the Greens voted for the Greens on the basis of housing and health. I think a lot of people voted on the basis of those two things. But would you not say the majority of the people who voted for the Greens voted because they wanted to see initiatives on climate change? Um... I suppose it depends. It depends on which candidate. I mean, like on my on my on my literature and leaflets, for example, like the number one priority I had was housing, and the second priority I had was health, um, and then the third priority I had was climate and biodiversity crisis. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, like that last election was about housing and health. Um, so, as a as a political party, you would generally try and have your priorities in line with what the constituents are actually looking for, yeah. so that you're speaking to them on it. Um, like if we were if we were to look at, you know, the amount of people who would vote for climate and climate only, like you're looking at maybe 
two to five percent of the population okay. um, maybe at this point. Um, not, I'm going to have to leave it there because I'm out of time but thank you for taking the call this morning. Yeah. So that's what's happening within the Greens. Um, I don't know if people still are interested in hearing about that. 0833 96 96 96. Let us know your thoughts on that. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Interested in hearing your thoughts on the discussions we were having before the news? If you want to get in touch, 1850-715-996 is the number to call. Or you can text or WhatsApp the show on 083 It's been a while since we spoke to Dr. Killian de Gascoon uh, of the National Virus Reference Laboratory. He had been an, a fixture in the programme, I think, early in the days of the pandemic, but it's been a while since we last spoke. And we are talking to him now just to catch up on, I suppose, the situation. The pandemic hasn't gone away. A lot of things Things are returning to some kind of normality, but we are still in a risky situation. Good morning, Dr. de Gascoon. Good morning, dear. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem at all. We had nine deaths yesterday from COVID-19 and just seven new cases. I think the nine deaths obviously very sad and our condolences to the families and friends of those people. Um, seven new cases is quite low though, isn't it? It is, and I, and I think it's, uh, it's reassuring that the numbers have started to decline again after the last uh, few weeks. I think people will will remember I suppose, the, the news briefings of the last couple of weeks where we started to see a, a rise in cases at the end of June um, and that was concerning for us. Now obviously we expected numbers to rise to a certain degree because society had reopened again um, but we didn't want numbers to rise too dramatically uh, and people remember that the or naught had, had crept up to somewhere between 1.2 and 1.8 and basically if the or naught is greater than 1 it means that the epidemic is, is growing um, and we were in a position for a long time where the or naught was, was less than 1 so yesterday's um, press briefing I think was, was very reassuring for all of us. Um, it's it's still early days but, but what we have seen is that that increase that started towards the end of June seems to have settle down around about the the 12th between the 12th and the 14th of July so that's a reassuring sign and obviously we're hoping now that um, it also appears that the or naught has has declined again it's still probably somewhere between 1 and 1.4 so probably still just above 1 um, but at the same time it does appear to be uh, lower than it was uh, last week which is a good sign mm. it's kind of um it struck me reading the figures this morning that with so few new cases, um, the the app obviously is a real help to people. But is there is there a danger now of people saying, well, we know, say, there's an outbreak on a construction site in Dublin. We know there was a crash worker in Dublin that has tested positive. Um, is there a danger of people in other parts of the country just kind of going, well, I know it's not in wherever I am, so I can just start going about my business because it, it the numbers are so low now. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think it's really important, I suppose, that we highlight to people that the virus could still be anywhere. You're right that um, a lot of the cases that we have seen in the last few weeks, we have been able to link back to a particular uh, event or a particular outbreak or cluster, whether it's a, a construction site, whether it's a, a large gathering, whether it's associated with travel. So that just was highlights how how much improved our, our structures, um, our infrastructure is now and our systems are um, compared to say where they might have been back in, in February and March. So we're identifying these 
clusters very quickly. But even though the, a lot of the cases have been identified uh, or tied to a, a known incident, we are still seeing a small number of cases that don't necessarily have a, an obvious source of transmission. So we still do need people to adhere to the basic public health guidance of hand hygiene, physical distancing and respiratory etiquette and wearing masks in, in settings where they can't maintain the physical distancing purely because anybody we're engaged with may have the infection. We we also know a lot more now than we did about the virus a, a few months back and we're very aware of the possibility of people transmitting the virus either before they develop symptoms, so in the pre-symptomatic stage, or some people will have the illness and not develop symptoms at any point. So they may be asymptomatic for the entire duration of their mm. illness, but they'll still be capable of transmitting the virus to others. So we still need everybody to act as if the people they're engaging with may be infected because obviously one of the good things over the last few weeks is that we have been able to open up the country, but we know that people are stay, are holidaying at home um, a lot more now, which is a really good thing. But it does mean that people are moving around the country. So even if you're resident in an area where there may not have been a, a large number of cases. If you've got people traveling mm. either into or out of that area, the virus may be traveling as well. So that's something that we really need people to think about. Just because, just because we go on holidays, unfortunately, the virus doesn't go on holidays. Yeah, I mean, I live in Cove, which is obviously a tourist destination. I was down at the local playground yesterday with my kids and uh, one of the local playgrounds were lucky enough to have two. And um, the um, there were, I mean, the place was absolutely thronged. There were loads and loads of tourists. And I got chatting to a little girl, I think she was about seven. And I said, oh, are you on holidays? And she said, yeah, we're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're Irish, it's fine. I think they were from Kilkenny. But um, there are lots of Dublin accents around, certainly a lot of English tourists around, particularly um, camper van tourists. I've seen a lot of those. Um, okay. So we know there is definitely movement happening. Um, and do you think people are taking the foot off the pedal in terms of the distancing and the hygiene requirements? I think it's been very challenging for over the last few months. And I don't think that people are consciously taking uh, their foot off the pedal, but I think it's as we've as, pe- as things have started to open up again, and society, as you said, has started to return to some semblance of of what we would have thought of as as, as purely normal um, six months ago. Uh, it's it's human nature that we uh, we just forget we you know we are on holidays or we're we're relaxing um, and we just forget about the virus uh, for a while, which obviously we all want to do. Um, but it's just really important that we remind ourselves that the virus hasn't gone away a large proportion of the population is is still susceptible um, and it can kick off really quickly i think that's been um the that was the the worrying thing in some respects of the last few weeks is that we've seen how how quickly case numbers can can start to rise we've also seen how quickly clusters can emerge you know clusters involving 20 30 40 50 people um, all track back to a single case so i think that's been uh, a, a salutary lesson that the virus given an opportunity will is still very readily transmissible thankfully at this point we haven't seen that materialize or we haven't seen that um, reflected in say the number of people going into hospital or going into intensive care um, mm. which is which is a good thing but at the moment but as I said the virus will still 
um, given the opportunity will transmit very readily and we can see an, a rise in, in cases very quickly so that I don't think people are uh, consciously taking um, their foot off the pedal but we would just ask them to, to really continue to uh, redouble their efforts and just ma- make sure that they protect themselves and protect others and protect their loved ones by, by adhering to the messages because um, we still you know there's been some positive developments in the last couple of weeks around around vaccination um, we still don't have um, an antiviral therapy so the only measures that we have for, for controlling this virus at this point are still the simple ones of um, avoiding contact with people who are infected and physically distancing from people good hand hygiene respiratory etiquette and, and wearing face coverings like it, those things sound so simple but they've been so beneficial and people have achieved so much you know if people cast their minds back to where we were at the end of March and, and through April um, we were in a, a very different place and, and society really uh, took on the mm. advice from public health and uh, and really you know the likes of an effort or the department of the HSE those groups can't actually control this virus themselves. It really is up to each and every one of us and, and people have achieved so much that we don't want to lose those gains um, now because we know that that winter with the likes with influenza and um, when we move into a different setting as people are sort of back indoors, it's, mm. it's harder to, to spend time outside. Um, so that's obviously a concern for us. So I suppose we want people to... Um, enjoy this time but also we wanted them to to try and enjoy it safely Okay, yeah I mean when you talk about winter and and the um, having to move indoors, that's that's the primary concern of a lot of people now with the schools going back, that obviously in nice weather, I mean in September you can have school kids out all day if you have the facility in a school of course, which a lot of them don't, but um, we all remember the the nice day that we were brought out to have our lessons out out in the yard um, and that kind of thing is going to be possible in September, it's not going to be possible after that. Do you see schools as um, being where the virus is going to resurge when they get back in September? And not necessarily. The the evidence that we have at the moment from schools around the country, or sorry, from around schools around the world, um, would suggest that if they if there's appropriate sort of physical distancing and, and good hand hygiene measures in them, that they don't appear to be a massive uh, source of um, outbreaks or infections. Now, obviously, there have been cases reported. Um, mm. We've seen what has happened in Israel, for example, but that that does seem to be. Um, something of, of an outlier. There are obviously countries that um, kept schools open through the course of the, the epidemic or the pandemic and schools that uh, reopened um, after having been through a particularly bad uh, spell. So we know that children can certainly get infected and we know that they are capable of transmitting the virus. But the fact those two elements are, are different from the fact of children being a significant driver of the the epidemic or the pandemic. So we think that obviously the priority for us now is to get our schools back in at the end of August, start of September. And uh, we think that we can do that safely. But the the priority for us really is ensuring that community transmission remains low because obviously we've seen problems in different sectors over the last few months. Mm. Uh, But... I think it was Mike Ryan said uh, a few weeks back, um, from Mike Ryan from the WHO said that we, we don't want to play whack-a-mole with this virus. 
Um, we don't want to move from sector to sector trying to control outbreaks. The best way for us to protect everybody is to reduce community transmission. And if we can keep community transmission at a low level, which thankfully we're, we're getting, we seem to be getting there again now, that will protect our schools, that will protect our residential care facilities, and that will allow us to get our health services back up and running. Um, but ultimately, if we get high levels of community transmission, then the virus will get into every sector. You know, the virus doesn't recognise boundaries and doesn't recognise borders. So um, maintaining a low level of transmission in the community is key to allowing us to do all of the other activities that we want to do. Mm. Um, One question that has come up a couple of times, and I've seen it mentioned in research from, I think, the States particularly, um, different strains of this virus appear to be... Um, different levels of infectious I suppose um, and also seem to have more serious long term impact on people who suffer from it is there any kind of um, so what, what level of knowledge do we have about what strains are circulating in Ireland and what impact they're having so we don't have so you're right there are different strains to this virus um, in the same way that there are different strains to lots of viruses so viruses evolve and they change and they adapt and they, they mutate over time so, but what we're seeing at this stage with this virus is that there's, there's a number of different strains, but we don't really have sufficient information at this point to say that one strain is more aggressive or more virulent or, or more likely to cause harm than, than any others. Uh, and purely, we may get that information over time, but it's not there at the moment. And if you look that, at what's happened from the point of view of uh, at the global level, we're seeing um, we've got more than 15 million confirmed cases now and over 600,000 um, deaths. And if you look at the say that, but if you look at the number of virus sequences that we have been able to to monitor and to uh, look at, it's really in in the, the small number of thousands. Let's see if I have a, a slightly sort of a, a, an updated number on that. But we haven't um, trying to link. I suppose there are so many different factors that go into whether somebody has a has a mild illness with this infection or has a severe illness with this infection because it will it will relate to their their age, it will relate to their own underlying condition. Um, and if we have, so if we look at what we've had, if, if we look at the number of sequences that we've been looking at, um, I think we've probably looked at about just over 60,000 sequences have been, have been analysed at a global scale. So there is a diversity there, but certainly there are no um, red flags at this point that suggest um, the virus or one particular strain of the virus is, a, is any more aggressive or any more virulent. As I said, it may, that, may, that information may emerge in time, mm. but certainly we don't have sufficient evidence to, to make a claim like that at, at this point in time. Okay. Um, a text comes in from Arona on WhatsApp. She says, what can the doctor advise on what an 18-year-old cocooner can do? How long are we likely to remain cocooning? Can we go shopping, etc.? That's very tough. I mean, obviously it's tough no matter what age you are, but if you are a person certainly of only 18 and you have some kind of medical vulnerability, it's very scary, obviously, to try and um, resume any kind of activity. I mean, I suppose, Dr. de Gascoon, that's a question of, of what level of risk are people comfortable with, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that's really well put. Um, in essence, we all have to... I suppose, uh, 
decide what our own level of risk um, or all, do our own risk assessment. Now, I think there is obviously this guidance for cocooners on the HPSC website, so obviously I would, I would refer the, the questioner to, to, the, to that guidance as well. But equally, I think now is the time to try and get out a little bit more. You know, we know the level of transmission in the, in the community is low, depending on, on what part of the country there. Um, the, the listeners is living in um, but ultimately if they wear a face covering if they maintain physical distancing if they obviously don't interact we would you know we would suggest avoiding large gatherings we would suggest uh, avoid enclosed spaces for long periods of time or confined spaces so you know they can interact with people outdoors well ventilated facilities in small numbers and maybe with the same group of people over a, a period of time rather than sort of moving from, from group to group. But mm-hmm. I think now is a time for them to try and, and to get out and to, to try and get some level of social interaction because obviously that's important as well. You know, the, the, the stay-at-home measures have been, were very difficult from a, a mental health perspective for, for an awful lot of people. Um, and I think now that we have the virus under control in the community for to a large extent, now is the time to try and get out, but, but to do it safely. So mm-hmm. as I said, to avoid... Um, crowded places to maybe go to shops during protected times or when you know there's restricted hours for for cocooners or maybe to go early in the morning or late at night Uh, but just the key thing is really physical distancing the virus isn't going to necessarily jump large distances it really has to spread from person to person so if you're coming into close contact with lots of people or if you identify a setting where you feel you can't remain physically distanced from people then maybe that's a setting that you don't want to go into from an individual level but but at the same time social interaction is important and now i think there is an opportunity to do it but but to do it safely so i said to keep keep the numbers small keep the the duration of visits maybe reasonably short but as to try to do them either either outside if you can in the good weather mm-hmm. or in, in a well ventilated setting but i think now is the time because you don't want to be you know we we appreciate that people can't cocoon indefinitely and that was that was never our intention yeah but in essence we wanted to protect that group as well and as I said ultimately we protect that group by getting community transmission of the virus down to a low level which which it is now thankfully so I think as you said it comes back to an individual risk assessment but equally I think now is the time to try and trying and get out if you can. Okay. I suppose what's unspoken in the end of that sentence there to me anyway is before the second wave. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think what everybody what I'm getting from listeners certainly that we're, people we're hearing from is get out and enjoy the summer while we have the fine weather to do things outside because we're all going to be locked up for the winter <laughs> well certainly that's not my it's not my intention to to imply that but but at the same time we know from previous experiences with winter viruses and mm. influenza obviously is the most common one but we do have a vaccine for influenza which is good we have antiviral agents for influenza which is good but we do know that if we get a, a particularly bad flu season then that's obviously going to put pressure on, on the healthcare system just in general um, and if there is like we believe that we can keep uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 activity at a low level that this, this, this is sustainable but we just need to be conscious like we are we're not going back to the normality of you know December 2019 or November 20, 2019 mm-hmm. we're going to have a, a new normal in the coming um, winter and I think what we can learn and what has been a positive development to a certain degree from uh, the likes of Australia in relation to their influenza season these measures that we are implementing as a, as a community and as a society around 
good hand hygiene, physical distancing, good respiratory etiquette and face coverings, they will actually have an impact on all of the other respiratory viruses yeah, of that course, we see. Yeah. So Australia at the moment, now they haven't completed their influenza season yet, but they've certainly had one of their lowest influenza seasons for uh, a long time, certainly in, in over a decade, and, and a significant reduction in the amount of confirmed labor, laboratory confirmed infection. And we believe that it's based on the, the physical distancing measures that have mm. been put in place um, due to SARS-CoV-2. So, you know, we're, we, like, we obviously have to prepare for um, uh, a difficult winter, but there's no guarantee that it will be difficult, but we obviously have to prepare for prepare for the worst and hope for the best, as, as the saying goes. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Gillian de Gascoigne. Thank you for that. Um, Arona says thank you, by the way, as well. She said that was very helpful. So there right. you go. Thank you, Linda. You helped one person today anyway, at least. That's <laughs> <laughs> my day's work, son. There That's you great. go. Yeah, you can catch yourself on the back and have a nice weekend. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Thanks, Linda. Take care. Thanks, bye. Um, Arona, I'd love to talk to you. I think um, it, it has been forgotten in all of this if that, that there are a lot of young people living with um, long-term medical conditions or, or um, other vulnerabilities that um, are still living kind of in fear. Um, I have a relative myself who is is physically disabled and who is really in a, in a tough spot with this because she has been trying to avoid people now since March and um, everybody else necessarily doesn't get it, uh, which I think is, is, is tough. It's very hard to deal with that. So Arona, if you are up for a chat on air, I'd love to talk to you. 1850-715-996. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. In March, we discussed a story from the Fermoy Municipal Council meeting that um, Fermoy uh, councillors had decided to suspend or terminate their twinning arrangement with the town in Poland that had declared itself an LGBT plus free zone. Uh, no- Nova Deba, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If you're Polish, let me know if, I, if I'm not. Um, Nova Deba is a run of around 100 Polish municipalities that had adopted resolutions against LGBT ideology and propaganda. That's what they're calling them. Um, Councillor Noel McCarthy 
had begun the process at that point in time. Um, Sean Reardon has reported in today's examiner, which suggests that there, I suppose there's another step taken in that process. Noel, um, what's the story with it? Where, where are you, what point are you at in actually terminating this twinning agreement? Good morning. Uh, yes, you're dead right about the March meeting, and unfortunately, we had no meeting since. Well, we had a meeting in July, but we had an opportunity to raise it mm-hmm. because of COVID. So we had an opportunity in our July meeting, which I brought, returned the motion again to discuss the matter. And what we've done since is the other that we have now written formally to Nova Deva, to uh, the municipal district there, to ask them to, to tell them that we're suspending ties with our twinning arrangement at the moment. And if they don't change their stance or if they don't reply to us by our September meeting, we'll terminate same then. And that's what we've done so far. We feel very strongly on this. We think there's a discrimination against the LGBT community in Poland. And I feel we have to show solidarity with them and say this is not acceptable and we will not be associated with them while they take this stance. Well, it's a good stand to take, Noel, in fairness. And I think um, uh, people might be forgiven for, for being surprised that Formoy is the first place in Ireland to make this move because I think there's a lot of um, twinning with Polish towns and villages and I suppose other places in the world that are probably equally problematic. Um, but Formoy, I think, is the first, isn't it? I think as far as I know, we're the first officially to suspend ties. I know other t- towns uh, have been um, around the same, I think are in process of doing the same. I think they've discussed it at their meetings, but because of COVID, there's been a delay for everyone. But uh, we're very proud for my that we are the first one to do it. We feel very strongly on this issue. I had full support, I want to mention, from all my colleagues at the meeting on Tuesday. They felt very strongly like myself on this issue. And just, if I could just say there, that the most important thing here is that this is nothing against the, the twinning group in Nova Deva. I've had the honour of meeting them when I was mayor in 2009 and for my when they visited our town. And they were lovely people like ourselves, enjoyed the culture, the education and the social aspects that is associated with twinning groups. So it's nothing against them personally, but we feel that there are municipal authority, there's a hundred regions in Poland have done this and we feel we could not accept this. And we, we feel we had to take a stance in solidarity with the LGBT community. It's very strong in this. Fair play, Councillor Noel McCarthy from North Cork, from Councillor uh, Finnegale, Councillor indeed. Uh, thank you for that. I think it's um, it's it's something that probably just needs to be said. Um, I gather the Cove Municipal District is twinned with uh, Col. Kolbuzova, um, and they are also writing to the, that town about the um, anti-LGBT policies that they have adopted over there. There's a lot of um, a lot of worrying reports out of Poland in relation to that stuff. It does not seem to be a very welcoming place at the moment for people um, who are LGBT plus, and I suppose we've we've come a long way on that ourselves. So it's good to take a stand where necessary. Uh, loads and loads and loads of texts in relation to the Greens. I find it very very interesting that I. Have almost the same level of feedback about internal rows in the Green Party as I have about the seven billion uh, economic stimulus. Um, it's very, yeah. I just wonder why people are so interested. Personally, like I'm interested in politics, so I'm like, oh yeah, look, there's another row in another political party, great. But you know, it's getting a lot of coverage considering at the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party the other night, Mark McSherry went mad and accused me, Hall Martin, of all sorts of things. Um, is it because there's young women involved and they're a bit more media friendly and people are a bit more inclined to be having opinions on them? 
could you pick up out Mark McSherry in the lineup versus Saoirse McHugh? Probably not. Um, even though he's been a TD for years from a well-known Fianna Fáil family and Saoirse McHugh kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, one texter says half of the Green Party are not happy with their leader. The other half stood by him because they're looking after their own pockets. I don't think that's fair. I think they have legitimate reasons for, for feeling he's done well. I mean, he, he's led them into government. Isn't that what every political party is supposed to want? Um, somebody else says, just listening to your non-committed Green, they are an absolute joke. So... So need they are wiped out again, the better. They were a waste of a vote. I have a feeling, texted that you didn't vote for them. Um, someone else says, I'm in my 40s, so not too old, but this is yet another example of a younger generation wanting instant gratification without grafting for it. They walk away. Certainly, I see where you're getting that from. Um, this exact thing happened with Sinn Féin when they had loads of young councillors elected the last time out. Um, in 2014, they had a whole heap of councillors as young as like 20 elected and so many of them left. They did not stay around. A lot of the women left, a lot of the young people left. And you have to wonder if it's an issue of how politics is done or if it's this instant gratification thing. Um, I think probably there's somewhere in the middle there. I think, you know, the way politics is done is a very much way of, you know, it's old fashioned, it's traditional, even in the newer parties. Um, and old fashioned and traditional naturally mean by men because that's who was there to establish that. So you do wonder if um, it's just this is a necessary adjustment to politics happening because there are more women in it. Um, but of course, you don't want them all leaving because that'll just leave it where it was. Nolig on WhatsApp says Lorna is our southern star. Obviously, Lorna Bogue voted there. Finn says, I texted the show the last day Lorna was on. She's an intelligent, capable lady and a fine councillor who can make her own name in politics. The Greens are a shower. Get out while it's in vogue. Um, but yeah, I mean, are you doing better in the tent uh, than outside of it, you know, in terms of actually making changes. That's a, that's a hard question. Michael says, if Lauren is going in the next general election, she would want to make herself better known in Cork South Central and not rely on a Twitter account. She did very well in the last general election for, for a non-big party candidate, I think, in Cork South Central. It's it's the, what do they call it, the constituency of death. Morris says, do the people that leave not accept the democratic vote by the party? Mark says, if one were to be cynical, one would think that some Green Party elected reps are trying to convince people that they are members of a different Green Party. Whether they like it or not, they're intrinsically linked with the government as members of a government party. Khan says, really, they should think about starting a new party, all of those leaving the Greens at the moment. Yeah, and what it, it reminds me of as well, I mentioned Sinn Féin already, but the Social Democrats have had the exact same thing as well. Um, or they have, sorry, they have been the exact same thing. Um, they're disaffected, mostly women who left mostly the Labour Party and some other kind of left-wing movements to join the Social Democrats. Um Look at all the women over the years that left Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and went independent. And I wonder if they would say the same things as these women from the Greens and from Sinn Féin have said when they've been leaving parties. Um, I bet you they would. Uh, I'd love to get somebody like Mary Lynn Hanfoley maybe on this because she left Fianna Fáil years ago. Um, you've other other councillors who were elected to one of the big parties and left. And it does, it happens with men as well. But there certainly is a thread there I think across all the established political parties uh, Caller says Eamon is trying to do the best he can give him a break um, yeah so very divided and lots of people have very strong opinions on it which seems to be disproportionate to the number of votes the Greens actually got um, which I do find very interesting like are you as interested as the in the inner workings of Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil or Labour 
don't know. It came up on the show the other day that there is new roundabout art in COVID, the Velvet's House Cross Roundabout. Beautiful metal sculptural figures of herons and uh, bulrushes and other birds. Um, I had passed it earlier in the week and I was really struck by it and I thought it was beautiful. However, the first text we got about it on the show the other day was actually somebody complaining that they didn't like it and that the people of Cove were not consulted about the design. Um, the poll that we subsequently did, a very minor poll, we got a more people liked it than didn't like it but it seems that somebody who didn't like it has gone to great lengths to damage it. Hendrik Ways, the chairman of the Tidy Towns in Cove. Good morning Hendrik. Morning Deirdre. Hendrik, what's after happening to the roundabout? Well one of the herons has disappeared so I think we've turned that in his head and somebody actually liked it so much that they wanted it for their own garden or somebody thought this is a way of making a quick few bob and stole it basically so it's missing. So, like, how big are these? They're not small. No, this heron, I suppose it has its wings outstretched, so it's at least four foot wide. It's at least four foot tall. You'd struggle to get it into your family car, um, and you would need a hacksaw to cut it off to take it with you. Okay, so, so this was a very deliberate thing that was done to damage this um, installation. I mean, it's not made of any kind of precious metal or anything, is it? No, it's literally, it's wire art, so it's copper wire. The, the, the beak of the heron will be... And brass, and so it's intricately woven. So it's quite strong, but it's you know you you've seen it. So I think you probably need to see it to to understand what it is. But it's it's a spectacular piece of art, and and the whole installation looks very well together. You know, there's four different roads leading onto that roundabout, and no matter which of the four roads you came, you got a different view. You got the bulrushes, you got the flying birds, you got the herons. You know. You got the reeds and, of course, the whole thing gently swayed in the breeze as well. If there was a breeze, so, you know, it, it looked very well. Yeah, I, I thought it was really beautiful, actually. I thought it was a lovely addition to the town. How much did that cost? We're talking mid-20,000 in total. Um, right. There's a significant element of it missing, which is about €3,000 worth. Um, I suppose the reason we publicised it in the first place was because this is a pretty unique piece. And there's only seven of those herons ever made. Um, Emma Jane Rushworth up in Greystones makes these she makes hares and she makes foxes and she makes all sorts of wonderful things but we kind of were inspired by Cuskinny Marsh Nature Reserve and the fact that it's known for the birds out there so that's where we wanted to you know um, mimic what's in Cuskinny um, so we went for one of the herons but she's only made seven two of them have come to Cove but there's five of them elsewhere in the country so it's pretty unique if somebody sees it coming up for sale or sees it in somebody's garden, well then they need to make a call to their local garden station, you know. Yeah, I mean, the resale value of it, I know it, it's worth about €3,000 to have commissioned, but the resale value of it, it's pretty much nil because it's so easily identifiable, isn't it? I think so, yeah. You know, it would take a, a special kind of person, I suppose, to, to buy it now. Mm. Um, because, you know, it would, come, it would come at a knockdown price and, you know, if something comes at a knockdown price, there's a reason for that. Um, so, yeah, the resale value is, 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 is small and the scrap value is insignificant, a couple of euros, because it's made of wire, so there's not a lot of metal in it, you know. Um, but to us, it's very, very important. It was an integral part of the roundabout. We'd spent a lot of time planning and, you know, behind the scenes, stuff doesn't just happen. And it was put out to public consultation. It was a part eight um, process with Park County Council, so it was advertised. It was signed at the roundabout for a couple of weeks. People had a, a choice or a chance to have their say if they didn't like it, you know, but we like it. And I think the majority of people um, who have seen it and have seen the pictures of it are absolutely amazed by it, you know. Um, so, but unfortunately, at the moment, 
Um, we're disappointed that a, a certain element of it has gone and we hope it'll come back, you know. Yeah. What is it that people have against public art? This is like the Luke Kelly thing. Um, I, I saw a court report this morning that the guy who had been previously convicted, I think, of pouring paint over the head of the Luke Kelly sculpture has now been up in court again for doing something to it. Um, or was it a different Luke Kelly sculpture he evangelised? He just obviously has some issue with them. Um, yeah, like, well, I suppose that's somebody looking for notoriety and we'd be very careful in court Eddie Towns not to ever give somebody notoriety. Yeah. You know, a piece of graffiti we certainly wouldn't publicise it a piece of you know anything at all just say nothing and you know because there's a certain element out there would, would would be searching social media and getting a great kick out of the fact that somebody you know somebody will be outraged or the people of Cove or the people of Cork or wherever were absolutely disgusted that this happened you know but this is a little bit different this is somebody wanted this for whatever reason and, and just went about taking it you know yeah yeah, it's um, it's. I mean, it must be very personally disappointing for you and for the other committee members after putting so much work and so much fundraising and so much effort into this over the years for this to happen so quickly. Yeah, I suppose, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to put us off doing nice things and doing great stuff for Cove, you know. Um, you you just need to think of the bigger picture, you know. Maybe twenty years ago, when I started out in tidy towns, you you really couldn't put a flower box out, and this was probably the same all over the country. You know, you'd always be afraid to put something out, but that's changed completely. You know, this is this is a rare occurrence in this in this time now. You know, it's been ten years since there's been anything significant like this happened, but there's never never been anything stolen. But um, you know, I suppose the worst you get at the moment would be a bit of development where someone would pick up a flower box and somebody's windowsill and put it on next door's windowsill you know that's how to yeah. carry on but um, but this is different this is somebody who wanted this you know for themselves or for somebody or or to make a quick book um, yeah and so. as you say you need a hacksaw to remove it and it wouldn't fit in a standard car so I mean somebody else must know that they've done it yeah and that's the reason we publicise it in the first place you know it's, it's gone pretty widespread now you all over social media, it's been all over the radio stations as well and the print media. So, um, and and that's the hope, you know, that somebody will see it. And in time, it might happen straight away, you know. But in time, hopefully, it'll come back. And if not, we just need to go to Plan B and see what that is, you know. But at the moment, there's a gap there. Um, it still looks quite wonderful, but it's not quite as wonderful as it was just nine days ago, you know. So, yeah. Okay, Hendrik, I hope you find it. If people do have any information or they do want um, or they think they might know where it is or who's done it, who can, who should they contact? Well, I think, that, you know, the first protocol in any situation like that would be your local guard station. You know, that's the route to go. Yeah. Um, don't approach anyone. Don't accuse anyone. Just go to your guard station and they'll talk it out. You know, they'll make the inquiries and, you know, if yeah. it's, if there's a reason to, to follow it up, they'll follow it up. So hopefully. If you don't find it, will you be able to replace it? Well, at the moment, uh, we don't have the finances to do it. Um, so that's where we stand at the moment. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, we live in hope that it will come back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hendrik Furway from Cove 20 Towns. Thanks for that. And hopefully somebody somewhere knows something and we'll be able to get that heron returned to the roundabout. Because, I mean, it really is a beautiful piece of art. You can see it on our Twitter there. Um, and I, as I say, I saw it myself during the week and I just was really... Um, struck by it. I thought it was really beautiful, really classy and obviously just a really nice 
unique um, installation for people in the town to enjoy and it's one of the, the things I suppose about Cove tends to be that things are very much focused on tourists but this is in an area that not a lot of tourists will be going it, it was something for the people of the town and now it's gone and you know if you do know who did it or took it shame on them first of all uh, but equally maybe you could persuade them to just bring it back just bring it back and leave it there or to bring it leave it somewhere that people from the tidy towns will find it um, and it can be maybe repaired because it's um, uh, somebody's asking about scrap metal yeah apparently it has no scrap metal value Fergal um, I, I, Hendrick actually was, was um, talking about this earlier uh, no scrap metal value apparently at all because it's only wire um, so yeah we'll see about that Next up, the digital divide. We've had a lot of calls about this since the pandemic started. Certain services, particularly government services, things like revenue, um, social welfare uh, claims, things like that. A lot of them have gone online um, during the pandemic. And there is, I suppose, an indication that a lot of them will be staying online. But of course, there are still a lot. And we talked about this in regard to schools, students who don't have access to technology, who maybe don't have home broadband, all that kind of thing. There is most certainly still a digital divide in Ireland and that will have been heightened by the pandemic. Um, I'll be talking in a moment to Vicky Godolphin from Accenture. They've recently run a seminar on this and they've done some research on it. So uh, let's hear about that in a moment. 1850 715 996. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 On Court's 96FM. Just before I go to Vicky Godolphin from Accenture, I gathered there is a road traffic collision near the Kinsale Road roundabout just in the last few minutes and several units of the Cork City Fire Brigade are on the way to that. Hopefully nobody seriously injured. Um, I guess we'll hear more about that later in the day if you tune into the news bulletins. Now, on um, in relation to the digital divide, as I say, it's something we've got a number of calls about throughout the pandemic. Vicky Godolphin from Accenture, you've been doing quite a lot of work on this in, within the company. Yeah, good morning, Deirdre, and thanks, uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, we have, I think, you know, traditionally we would have always talked about the positive side of digital, how it can enable so many things and, you know, really thinking about the responsible use of digital technologies. But I think what's become more, we've become more and more aware of is this growing divide of what we see as the haves and the have-nots when it comes to being able to really thrive in an increasingly digital society. So we really wanted to kind of just help understand this a little bit more. So we actually did a, a piece of research uh, at the end of last year. So it was pre-COVID, but as, as you rightly said, as, as part of the introduction, that, um, you know, what's happened during COVID has really just um, put a spotlight on this divide and the dangers that the divide will actually, you know, further widen, which is something we, we all really need to think about. Okay, and is there is it is particularly older people you have found that the problem is with? Is it? Yeah, I think you know. I think uh, there's there's always a common assumption that our most senior citizens would have the most trouble with technology, and um, my my mum would probably um, probably probably rail against that uh, in terms of you know she's pretty good with the the iPad and being able to access services, but it, it genuinely is a challenge from a generational perspective but I think it's it's a little bit simplifying saying it's definitely the most senior citizens because actually the research we did said that it kind of starts a bit earlier so 
are over 45s in the population are tending to have the lowest levels of confidence and confidence is a big issue um, in their digital literacy and their digital skills. And that confidence does further erode uh, the older we all get. Um, mm. So actually our over 65s, uh, you know, kind of said that 70% of them felt that they really had below average digital skills. And of course, the impact of this is just so devastating in terms of people feeling um, really isolated and alienated from, you know, even simple things around, as we've seen over the last number of months, being able to connect with families and, and friends, but also, you know, to, to access vital and critical information and services. Okay. So what, what can people do, I suppose? What's the solution? Well, I think we've focused on, on three, what we call the three C's, actually, um, in terms of things that we need to do. And, and the first one really is around collaboration and, and collaboration leading to us being much more consistent in our approach to tackling this because lots of really great organizations and stakeholders have been talking about the digital divide, have been researching the digital divide. But what's happening is you've got lots of disparate communities trying to tackle this huge issue. And we just believe that if we actually came together and worked together to address it, we would be able to come up with much more sustainable and meaningful solutions. So that means really taking a a national uh, framework approach to addressing the divide. So that, for me, is a, a really key thing. I think the second thing is, you know, it does, you know, education in all its forms is, is critical. And as we said, we sort of, education is a human right. Uh, I fundamentally believe we have a moral obligation also to equip our citizens with, you know, digital skills as well mm-hmm. and make sure that no one's left behind. So getting the curriculum right, not just about how to, you know, turn on the computer and how to create a document, but also to think about some of those softer skills that we need to help people with so that they can, you know, really think through how to use digital uh, tools and access information on, online in a, in a safe way. Okay. And, so, and is Accenture doing anything to, to make that possible? Yeah, so um, we actually launched our report this week and um, it was, um, we had lots of, uh, we had a virtual event, obviously, given, given the current um, uh, constraints and that was really uh, brilliant to bring lots of different stakeholders into into that and I shared a panel discussion mm. with um, Heidi Foster Broken who's the CEO of Onkasan they're obviously doing amazing work with um, learning bringing learning to local communities um, Gavin Kelly who is the CEO of Retail Island for Bank of Ireland and they're doing some really interesting things as many of the banks are around really trying to help people you know, around accessing online financial services because we found that obviously, you know, over 25% of people didn't actually feel confident to Mm. do financial transactions online and obviously that's a a, a big challenge um, over the last number of months. And then lastly, Lord David Putnam, who was Ireland's first digital champion and, and is really passionate about this. And I think he had some really interesting perspectives both on education, but also on how business, government, and educators really need to come together and and work together. Mm-hmm. I think the overwhelming um, outcome of that discussion was um, we need to get on with it, so we need to act fast. But in going fast, we have to bring everyone together. We can't leave people behind, but we need to go together. So, um, and a big thing was that maybe we just, you know, as I said, and I'm probably showing my age with this cultural reference, but we need to pump up the volume around this because we really need to raise the awareness 
Um, one of the comments that Heidi mentioned on the panel was that there is a sort of secret shame for people mm. who don't have digital literacy. It's a bit, isn't it a bit like being kind of illiterate? It used to be uh, years ago and probably still is for a small number of people. Vicky, I'm a little bit out of time, but thank you for that. It's an interesting, um, an interesting piece of work. You are listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Now for something completely different. I think it was last September or October when we first spoke to um, Kieran, who Kieran McCarthy from Kieran McCarthy Construction, who was asking for assistance in building a new home for the Walshes that was for Deirdre and Finbar Walsh and at the time we spoke to Deirdre about um, the challenges that family are facing they live in East Cork, Finbar suffers from a debilitating illness as do a number of their children and they were facing very very tough times and I suppose it's it's funny when, when you have a pandemic in the middle of all of this you tend to forget that these sort of things are still happening to people in the background. Kieran, it's been a very strange few months since we last spoke uh, good morning, Deirdre. Yeah, th- thanks for taking my call. Um, so it's it's KMC Homes actually is the name of the building. Apologies, KMC Homes. No problem, no problem at all. Um, yeah, it is. It's um, I suppose the pandemic has arrived in the middle of this of this uh, exciting project with uh, with Deirdre Walsh and Fimber Walsh, but uh, but we're still going. Thank God. So um, yeah, um, all systems go. So where where are things at at the moment? I know when we spoke, they had I think they'd identified a site. No construction had begun, but you had been um, you, you knew what what you wanted to build. We had appealed for some assistance um, with different um, aspects of that. And I know I'm looking back on the document from that day, and we had the Colbert and Cole Middleton had offered to help them sell their existing house with no fee. We had offers from a plasterer, Adrian Kenny, an architect, Greg Collins, Dave Tobin, a painter from Ballincollig, and we actually managed to get USC on board to offer to furnish um, one or two of the rooms in that new home for them. So there was a huge level of support that came in um, to in order to get them sorted and to help them out. Um, what stage are you at now, Kieran? Yeah, so I mean, it, 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 it's moved up a level again. No, we have um, James Kelly Associates have, have offered to help. We have um, we have uh, Met Construction, uh, QSs in Cork, and Doyle McDonald. Um, Doyle McDonough Nurse Architects, Tanner Structural Design, Cork Builders Providers, and Focus Surveys have all offered to help, and some some of all indeed have, have helped already. So, um, so a huge thank you to to everyone involved, and indeed the sponsors you mentioned as well. And um, so, where we are is we um, like we we've we've the house fully designed. We've it all costed out and on on budget with your address. Um, and December, we we now have the benefit of planning permission. And the end of next week or thereabouts will be will be, be beginning on site finally. So um so finally we're we're there will be shovels in the ground soon, you know. That is absolutely fantastic to hear. They must be delighted. Um how oh, is Finbar oh, at the moment? Yeah, he's quite good. Um I met with him last week myself, uh, Finbar and Deirdre had a meeting um just kind of generally teeing up the um the project um and starting to look at kitchens and tiles and floors and all that. 
So, um, so yeah, look, and in, in, in as good as health as can be expected. And look, I, I think with this and uh, this great light at the end of the tunnel, it's a, it's a huge weight off their mind, and you know they're, they're very excited about the next steps and and how, and how their own life will, will improve with with this wonderful new home at the end. You know? Absolutely. And um, Kieran, I suppose the the COVID pandemic has had presumably Finber has probably been cocooning. Um, uh, in terms of the impact it's had on you and your own business, what's um, what's it been like for you? Um, well, I suppose, look, we were all out of action for about seven weeks. And we like we were able to keep design work going and some level of planning, albeit delayed. But all our sites were shot for the seven weeks. Um, and we, we put an awful lot of work into um, into getting all the systems and processes in place for, for reopening. So we are reopening all our sites and they're all moving reasonably well. It's a bit slower because particularly indoor works is the, is the, is the main difference. Um, there's a, like we're, we're we're starting to use face masks now for all our meetings. That our, our meetings are primarily outdoors and only um, when absolutely necessary we, we, we meet indoors. Um, and we do Zoom meetings where we can as well. But um, so look, that, that it's it's social distancing really, and um, and um, washing hands and all that is the main event. But you have to go up, up the ante there when you go indoors because um, you can work in cold environment there unless you know natural ventilation, whatever you know. Yeah, of course, and of course, a lot of the jobs that your guys would be doing are jobs that they have to be kind of head to head on and and close up, um, you know, holding things for each other or whatever. It's it's not that easy to socially distance on a construction site. No, but I mean, I suppose we we're building primarily one-off houses on large um, um, one-off house sites, so they're, they're low density. I mean, we we've heard about construction sites in Dublin mm. where they have, have had difficulties, but they're much more they're, they're inner city projects. I'm I'm imagining. And they have you know up to two hundred people on site, so it's a lot more dense and and a lot a lot more internal, detailed uh, fit of works and so as well. So it's a, it's a, it's quite a different environment than than uh, one of house builders like we would be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so it, we, we, it's much easier for us to control social distancing or whatever as well. Okay, in terms then of Deirdre and Finbar's home, what kind of a timeline are you looking at? Um, we'll be about six months on site. Um, so, like as KMC do all the design work and all the building work and all the project management, we have we have a lot of control over the whole every aspect of the site. So, um, yeah, about six months on site. So, um, uh, next March, we'll be looking forward to uh, handing over to Deirdre. Fantastic. Well, we really look forward to that and hopefully we'll be able to celebrate with you all on the day. We might uh, yeah. see if we can even get a camera out there to, to get them um, get them moving in because it has been a long journey for them. Um, in terms then of the other the other partners that are getting involved with you on this, uh, you've, you had a huge outpouring of support really, didn't you? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, been, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's, I like you say, I mean, the pandemic has caught us all by surprise, but but life goes on and, you know, life goes on in, in, in different ways for different families. And, you know, Simba and Deirdre uh, have, uh, have their own difficulties in their children, whatever you put. Um, but there's been huge support and thanks for all, for everyone who's, who's helped so far. And, um, you know, we, we, we look forward to the next steps of the project. Brilliant stuff. That's great. And fair play to you, Kieran, and to your team, because it's um, it's absolutely wonderful to hear of people getting that kind of help, um, you know, when they're in such a difficult situation. They're a really difficult family situation. Finbar is, um, I think it's muscular dystrophy. Finbar suffers from, and I think two of their children suffer from it also. Very, very uh, debilitating and unpleasant condition to live with. And, of course, life not easy there for Deirdre either, caring for all of them. Um, so it's great to hear uh, businesses with integrity that are willing to go the extra mile 
while for the people in their community. So well done to Kieran and all at KMC Homes. Speaking of people going an extra mile for those in their community, I mentioned earlier this morning that um, we would be talking to somebody whose dog had been stolen. Well, fair play to the guards. Um, Jared's dog was stolen earlier, I think only earlier this week, and was located by the Gardaí and he was reunited with the dog. I'll speak to him in just a moment. Stay tuned for that. 083 396 96 96. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Court's 96 FM. Jared McMahon, good morning. Good morning. Jared, you, you're a hard man to track down. You've been in all the media since yesterday after Jake, your lovely spaniel, yeah. was returned to you. When yeah. when had he been stolen? He'd been stolen on the 24th of uh, June. And what happened? What were the circumstances in, in which you went missing? Well, he'd normally be around the house there and he was around the house at 2 o'clock. And when he was called for his... to feed him, put him into his kennel for the evening, he was missing. And uh, my wife immediately suspected that he was um, stolen. I checked, and we live on a farm, and I checked around the farm. He's a dog that would normally come to a whistle. Mm. And I whistled extensively around the place and no sight of him. And had you noticed any suspicious activity in the area no, or anything before that? No, Nothing. no, we wouldn't really be able to see the road from the house. Mm. You know, it's, it's screened off with trees and shrubs. Okay. So, but there, there had been reports that were, there was people around in white fans stealing dogs. Yeah, we had seen a number of those yeah. reports here yeah. on the show yeah. as well. Yeah. And so that's obviously what happened to poor old Jake. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you had put up posters and you had been contacting people to try and try and yeah. retrieve him. Did you have much hope? Very little hope, actually. He, he was up on um, he was up on Facebook. He was on Twitter last and found. And I put an ad on for him on Dundee. I noticed up in the local shop. The notice board in the uh, in Carrick Navarre, and no sign of anything. There was the odd report went to my neighbour that there was dogs, but found, but they weren't our dogs. They weren't, they weren't our dogs. Mm. And so he was gone on the twenty fourth of June, and it was on the thirteenth of July that guards in Limerick got. I mean, in fairness, this is really good policing. They got yeah. a call from somebody about suspicious activity yeah. in a car yeah. park on the yeah. old Dublin Road in Limerick, and that's not a particularly busy area. Um, yeah. And the two men, they, there was two men at the scene in a car park with two dogs that just appeared very nervous, and the guards just felt that something wasn't right about that situation. Yeah, so, yeah and. Uh, yeah, go ahead. How, how I heard about it then is one of my friends noticed um, the picture of the two dogs that the guard sees there in, in that car park on the wild fowling website. And they alerted me. Hmm. And uh, my friend then was on to him several times, but um, the lady in Limerick Animal Welfare Centre was looking for more pictures. We sent on pictures to identify him, but the pictures of Springers, their faces are quite similar. Yeah. And eventually I found a picture of showing his back, and that was quite distinctive. So they agreed with me then, it was my dog. 
So I had to go up and identify him on Tuesday of last Tuesday. Yeah, mm. Tuesday of this week. And he was up in Limerick Animal Welfare, was he? he? He was, and they were they're doing a great job there. They looked after him very well. That's brilliant. That's where my two dogs came from, actually. That's yeah. up in my part of the world in Kilfinnan. And yeah, they're yeah. they're really, really good at what they do. They're all volunteers. Um so fantastic facilities there. They do, they do. So Jake yeah. Jake he must have been overjoyed to see you, was he? Well, he's a sort of a timid sort of a dog. Yeah. You know, he wouldn't show you too much affection, but I have a trick that I usually do with him. I'd be passing out the door and he'd be around the place. I'd get down on the ground and he'd come over and sit down beside you. Ah. So I wasn't sure whether he'd do that or not when I went up there, but he did and sniffed. So the, the, the guard, Shane Hayes, was there with another guard and the lady in the animal welfare, Marie, Marie, you know, they were satisfied with the reaction that he was definitely my dog. Oh, so you brought him home. How's he settled back? No, I, I wasn't allowed to bring him home. Why not? Actually, no. The guards brought him home later that evening. Why weren't you allowed to bring him home? I, I don't know. But That's they told very me strange, that in isn't advance. It? They told me that in advance. Yeah. I suppose they, they, I suppose they wanted further confirmation because the dog was very quiet in in the squad car when he was coming all the way back. But when he came into Carrigan village, he sat up as if he knew he was home. Oh. And then when he came to the house, he went straight for his kennel. Ah, the poor little fella. God only knows what he's been through so since I, he saw him. Yeah, and he's... He, it's the same though, but generally he seemed to be well fed and cared for, you know, because he hadn't lost any weight as far as I could see. Good. And he, he himself now, but I'm being nervous leaving him out now. And I'll be out for a few hours morning and evening, but I'm not sure what to do with him now. Yeah, and it's hard on a farm, like you're not going to fence yeah. him into a run if he's not used to yeah. that. No. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose keep it. Hopefully, yeah. lightning doesn't yeah. strike twice in the same place. Yeah. Um, he wasn't microchipped. Um, no, George, is that and, something uh, you're going uh, to look uh, into? Well, he's microchipped now. Yeah. Well, I suppose the other lesson is, you know, that people shouldn't fly dogs from car parks or unless you'll be from a premises, you know, someone's house or something like that, because you don't know where they come from. Yeah. You want to, be assured that they're, they're a genuine sale and that they wouldn't be stolen. Yeah. Yeah. Or of course, if you go to the animal yeah. rescue to get your dog, you don't have those worries either. The, no. um, the, the, one of the things that came up, we, we've been discussing this quite a bit during the week, and there's yeah. a TD in Wexford, um, James Brown, who was on the show the other day. Yeah. He's bringing a new law forward to have dog thefts treated as a different category of crime. Um, you know, because it's not, at the moment in the law, it's like stealing anything else. If they stole, yeah. um, tools out of your shed, uh, it's yeah. the same crime. Do you think it should yeah. be considered a different crime? I suppose something more akin to kidnapping. Well, I'm not sure you'd put it on that level, but, um, you know, it's very distressing for people. Mm. You know, you know, some people would be in mourning after their dog would be gone. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So maybe, some maybe people will, be that. bring him to bed with him and in the house all the time. Yeah. My dog would be around the place. We, I've had Springers for over 40 years, you know, and uh, that'd be a big part of your life. 
It would, of course. Well, look, welcome yeah. home, Jake, and thanks, Jerry, for yeah. talking to us. And no uh, I hope he's uh, give him, give him a little pat for us if he's if he's we'll up to it. <laughs> All right, take Thank care. Thanks very much. Okay. A fair play to the guards. That's absolutely brilliant because you don't often hear of a positive outcome to those kind of stories. I know we had one before where there was somebody in the city. Um, there was a lady, I think, on the north side of the city with a small dog. Was it a Bichon or something? And they did actually track it down and it was returned. But um, it must be great, actually, as a guard to get that kind of satisfaction out of a case like that because, to be fair to them, like, you know, I'd say in a job like that, you see a lot of negativity and there's a lot of... Um, just bad things happen. You're at the forefront of all the bad things that happen, but it's nice to see something positive and nice to get a win um, in that situation. A lot of texts in about totally different things, actually. Um, Antonia has texted in. Okay, this one is... Um, is a request for people. Uh, Antonia has been living in a and b for over a month. She has a 10-month-old baby and herself and the boyfriend have been have been doing that. Uh, they moved to Glanmire only two nights ago. Um, they got a place in the council, which is great. But while she was staying at the other place, some of the child's toys went missing. They were all Peppa Pig toys. Her Peppa Pig big teddy bear, her George teddy bear and her phone with Peppa Pig on it and other bits and pieces of her Peppa Pig stuff went missing. Antonia wants to know if anybody has any of those items at home that they no longer want. So a Peppa Pig teddy bear, a George teddy bear, a Peppa Pig phone um, or any other Peppa Pig bits and pieces that you have around the house and you're only down to be rid of. I'd say there's plenty of people in that boat. Um, if anyone has those items and they would like to give them to Antonia for her little girl who, uh, I think it's a little girl, um, who's items went missing when they were staying in a and b staying in homeless accommodation. That's... Um, that's that's pretty tough, isn't it? It's very hard. It must be very hard. All that, um, all that moving around all the time. Uh, you can text in a WhatsApp. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Text is easiest because we can compile all the texts and pass on the details to Antonia. Um, if there are a lot of them, because on these occasions we tend to get quite a bit of them. So Antonia, or her little baby, and her boyfriend have been living in homeless accommodation. They have been housed, which is brilliant. Um, but a lot of their child's Peppa Pig toys went missing while they were in homeless accommodation. Um. So so if anyone has those that they no longer want, uh, please let us know. 083 396 And of course, um, 96FM is closed at the moment. So you can't drop anything to us here at the office. We'd have to arrange, um, that would have to be arranged between yourself and Antonia. Um, our, our premises is closed to the public for the foreseeable. Um, going back to teachers, we... Um, there was a lot about teachers in schools earlier and COVID. Burr says on WhatsApp, my husband is a retired teacher and all his teaching life he was slagged by his friends about his cushy job with great holidays until his friends' teachers began teaching. His Sorry, his friends' children began teaching. Then they spoke about how hard their children worked, the hours of preparation and correcting they put in. I think you have to live with the teacher to rec- realise the extra work they put in. My husband never minded the extra work as it was part of his job, but the public never see this side of it. Also, he did sport after school with the students for 30 years. Yeah, look, everyone knows I live with a teacher and my mother was a teacher as well so um, I think they are worth what they're paid and I think it's a tough job and I would absolutely not do it um, I like I'd love June, July and August don't get me wrong but um, I absolutely could not do the job that they do I think they're brilliant and they have immense patience Jason says this is Jason the painter if the teachers don't want to go back leave them at home not all people are afraid of the COVID-19 but some are terrified just leave them go to work or not because no person can go to work uh, 
in fairness, the work will not be done if they're afraid COVID-19 is a serious problem. Yeah, Jason, I understand what you're saying, but obviously you can't have huge levels of absenteeism because who will teach the children? Um, you can't leave 30 children in a classroom unattended. That's the problem. Um, the the issue with it is that, um, you know, someone has to supervise the kids. You have pupil-teacher ratios. You have uh, child protection issues. And, you know, a teacher texted me after hearing that um, item earlier uh, with Michael McGrath about, you know, extra funding for sub-teachers. Where are these subs supposed to come from? There are no subs. Um, and I mean, I know when I was in school, a lot of the subs were retired teachers who, you know, presumably if you're over 65 and you might be at medical risk, you're certainly not going to go back into a classroom now. Um, so where are they going to get them from? That's a whole other question. In relation to the Greens, Orla says on WhatsApp, six years involvement in a party that's referring to Sir McHugh is not instant gratification. Yeah, that's a very good point. We only see the public end of it. We don't know what was going on behind the scenes and for how long that was going on. Something completely different. It has been discussed in the media for the past few days. Um, Kanye West has not been well, obviously. Um, He has been coming out saying all sorts of things about running for the presidency and about Kim. Uh, He's suggesting that Kim should have had an abortion when when they first became pregnant with their child and all sorts of things. Now, people are used to Kanye West being eccentric, but um, kind of this is on another level. And it's very interesting the level of discourse that we all use, I think, on social media with regard to celebrities because in one, you know, black square we have Be Kind and then in the next story or tweet or whatever it is, we have, OMG, did you see this? Your man is mental. And obviously, just because people are famous does not mean they're immune from mental illness. Um, Kim Kardashian came out yesterday with a very um, comprehensive statement which I will read after the break. We're going to talk about bipolar disorder because that's what Kanye West is suffering from. I'll read Kim's statement and I'll be talking to talking to somebody who is an expert in that area. No doubt there are people listening who are uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder or who are living with somebody with a diagnosis which is very, very difficult thing to live with. 1850 715 996. This is Court's Gold. Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. So this is what Kim Kardashian put out on her social media after the events of the last few days. As many of you know, Kanye has bipolar disorder. Anyone who has this or has a loved one in their life who does knows how incredibly complicated and painful it is to understand. I've never spoken publicly about how this has affected us at home because I'm very protective of our children and Kanye's right to privacy when it comes to his health. But today I feel like I should comment on it because of the stigma and misconceptions around mental health. Those that understand mental illness or even compulsive behaviour know that the family is powerless unless the member is a minor. People who are unaware of or far removed from this experience could be judgmental and not understand that the individuals themselves have to engage in the process of getting help no matter how hard family and friends try. I understand Kanye is subject to criticism because he's a public figure and his actions at times can cause strong opinions and emotions. He is a brilliant but complicated person who on top of the pressures of being an artist and a black man who experienced the painful loss of his mother has to deal with the pressure and isolation that is heightened by his bipolar disorder. Those who are close with Kanye know know his heart and understand his words sometimes do not align with his intentions. Living with bipolar disorder does not diminish or invalidate his dreams and his creative ideas, no matter how big or unobtainable they may feel to some. 
That is part of his genius and as we have all witnessed, many of his big dreams have come true. We as a society talk about giving grace to the issue of mental health as a whole. However, we should also give it to the individuals who are living with it in times when they need it the most. I kindly ask that the media and public give us the compassion and empathy that is needed so that we can get through this. Thank you for those who have expressed concern for Kanye's well-being and for your understanding. With love and gratitude, Kim Kardashian West. And I never thought I'd be empathising so much with Kim Kardashian to be honest but I have to say uh, for anybody who has lived with a serious mental illness in the family or who has experience of that that statement certainly feels very familiar. Paul Gilligan is the CEO of St. Patrick's Mental Health Services now Paul I'm not going to ask you specifically about Kanye West because you can't diagnose him from, from this far away but for families living with somebody who has a serious illness like bipolar disorder that statement is very um, it's, it's very accurate as, as to the level of input and control that people can have isn't it yeah i mean i think i think if you start with the with really outlining what is bipolar disorder mm. and it's a disorder that involves uh, extreme mood swings from emotional highs to emotional lows and then there's various extents of that so like every mental health difficulty there's you could call it you know minor uh, difficulties right down to the more serious difficulties and what, what what families have to live with is effectively trying to support a person who could be quite ill and at the same time having to make some tough decisions around what's the best options in terms of treatment for that person. And I think, uh, you know, that statement has identified one or two really key things. One of them is this concept of capacity to make decisions for yourself. And mm-hmm. the law quite rightly protects people who have mental health difficulties uh, both in regards to whether they have capacity or not. And so family or friends or doctors can't make decisions about a person unless they lack capacity. In other words, unless they meet certain criteria. And that's the way it should be. But that can make it very difficult for families who feel, look, this person is doing things to damage themselves and we can't do anything to stop them. So it's, I think, you know, when celebrities comment about mental health difficulties, it can be really helpful if the messages are genuine, if the messages are about recovery, and if they're asking people to empathise and understand the situation. And I think I, I, I think when that happens, it's really useful because it helps people out there who are experiencing bipolar disorder or, or similar disorders to really understand and see that others are having this conversation publicly. So from that perspective, it's very useful. Mm. I mean, mental illness generally, I suppose, isn't glamorous or mental ill health. It's not, um, you know, normally something that is is uh, so public. It's not normally, you know, people don't have the level of wealth and resources that, that uh, the West and the Kardashians have. But it's what I find most interesting about that situation is that the core issue of what the family can do to help somebody who is that ill um, is actually the same no matter what your resources are. Well, that's right. I mean, the the key ways that a family can help a person with a mental health difficulty is number one, try and inform themselves so that they can support the person mm. and advise. And they're the two key things that, that, that make such a difference in a person's life. There is, a, there is a stage when a person can reach such acute illnesses that they lack capacity to make decisions for themselves, that they become a danger to themselves or a danger to others. And then they fall into a legal criteria that enables 
some decisions to be made about their treatment that is against their wishes. Mm. And that's that's why we have the Mental Health Act. And Mental Health Act is based in human rights legislation or human rights principles. And it's, 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 a, it's a very good piece of legislation because it's really important that we protect the rights of people with mental health difficulties. But that can leave families in very difficult situations because they, they probably feel at times that they're being criticised, that they're not doing enough. They feel frustrated. But it's really important that they go back to the key principles of having to try and support as best they can, advise and, and obviously seek seek help and support for themselves and, and their loved one. I mean, it's... It is it is it is difficult sometimes for people to understand when somebody is behaving in a way that they feel is uh, warrants maybe them being forced to have treatment that they can't do that and but that's it, that that's also an important component in terms of protecting that person's rights. Mm. Mm. I mean, we've heard, I suppose, a lot of horror stories over the years about people in the past being um, put into institutions or being given um, electroshock therapy and things like that against their will. And the protections are now there, of course, to make sure that that doesn't happen. But there can be a very fine line um, where um, somebody is clearly kind of out of control or lacking capacity um, and a family is powerless to do something really unless unless they have the support of um, the mental health professionals really aren't they? Yeah I mean there's a couple of key points to make. Most people who have mental health difficulties choose to uh, obtain appropriate treatment and therapy of course there's a big conversation around whether it's available yeah. and how easy it is to access and that's a whole different day's conversation but most people do and then there's a small number who who lack insight, who are so acutely ill they don't they haven't the capacity to to, to have the insight to know they need help, and that's where uh, professionals and family and all those around them who support them have to act in their best interests. Um, it is tricky. It is also important that the processes are followed because, if you said, you know, we Ireland has come from a a dark past when it came to how we treated people with mental health difficulties. We have moved forward significantly, as has many other countries, although Ireland is probably at the forefront now. So it, it, it is it is a lot of pressure and a lot of um, stress for families, and it is important that families get support. The other key point here is about stigma, and I think the more we can discuss mental health difficulties openly, mm-hmm. but in a, in a constructive, positive way, no matter how acutely ill somebody is, they should expect to live a normal life. They should expect to recover. So disclosures by celebrities around mental health difficulties are most useful when they're genuine and when they focus on the options of recovery rather than focused on the negative side of mental health difficulties. So I think that's useful to keep in mind for people when they're when they're listening to these types of stories. Yeah, I mean, we, like, mental health and, and the celebrity world tend to go hand in hand in, in a lot of respects. We all know of very well-known stories of people who have not been able to, I suppose, find their way out of these situations where things have just gotten too difficult for them. Um, but, as you say, the recovery story is, is a very important one to tell as well. If people are listening to this and they have a family member or they themselves feel that they're they're in this situation maybe they have the insight to acknowledge that they might be suffering from something very serious what's their first port of call paul where where somebody's concerned for themselves or concerned for uh, a loved one they should and they, they believe that that it's an acute illness they should go to their gp but there's also lots and lots of really good voluntary organizations that run really good advice and helplines the samaritans aware 
um, Shine. There's a num- number of them that, that 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 people can phone confidentially. Check out, you know, exactly where wh- 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 what's happening for them. But if if somebody needs uh, treatment and they believe they need specialist treatment or their loved one believes they need specialist treatment, they should go to their GP. That's the first protocol. And the GP will be able to access the professional help that they need. Okay. And if you have a family member who is in a very bad state with their mental health, who you believe is lacking capacity and who is, um, you know, who maybe has a diagnosis already um, and, and you believe it, it's they're, they're just, I suppose, not able to, to see what's happening. Is the GP still the first port of call? I've, I've heard of people contacting the guards or, or um, other authorities. Is, is it still the GP you go to if you feel that somebody needs that extra help? Absolutely, it's still the GP. Now, if somebody's linked in with a mental health team, a community mental health team, they should go there. And also, they, they should also feel free to contact uh, mental health services directly. Even just checking out their websites can be very helpful. St. Patrick's has a very good website, so do other organisations. But yes, the GP, I mean, where where something happens that people are concerned that somebody is likely to break the law or is breaking the law, then the guardian should be called where... You know, people are worried about violent incidents, etc. But again, they're they're not. They're, they're, there's only very few people engage in that type of behaviour. Most become quite sad and depressed. They mm. be, they may be a risk to themselves. And first and foremost, so I would always say to somebody when they're concerned for somebody with a serious mental health issue, go to your GP, ring them on the phone, have a chat, and they will be able to advise you where to go next. Okay. Paul Gilligan, CEO of St. Patrick's Mental Health Services. Thank you very much for that this morning. Prompted, thank you. Thank you. Prompted, of course, by the, I suppose, increasingly um, worrying uh, actions of Kanye West and the statement by Kim Kardashian West, his wife, in relation to his bipolar disorder. Um, you know, I suppose earlier in the week we were talking about Britney Spears, who obviously had her own mental health issues and the situation she's in with her conservatorship. Um, I suppose she's in the opposite situation where she has no ability to do anything for her herself because um, that has been taken away from her and where's where's the middle ground I suppose um, the a text from somebody says Shine a Light Cork are launching the hashtag Make Some Noise Cork campaign which will be a combination of music and information about the services that are available to signpost people to services that are there to help them with their mental health going live from Mayo Cafe and broadcast by Unity Media so that's um, one of the mental health resources in Cork or Shine a Light Dave on WhatsApp says how come now he's talking about his relationship with Kim Kardashian he's mentally ill when he was snapping trophies out of people's hands or peddling conspiracy theories about George Bush there was no one saying he's mentally ill is it worse to think George Bush is in a big conspiracy or that you didn't want your daughter aborted? Ooh, um, I think the bipolar dis- diagnosis has been out there for quite a while. Um, but yeah, take your point, Dave. Um, 1850-715-996. Now, I was speaking to Michael McGrath earlier, Minister Michael McGrath, in relation to that extra funding that's going to be given to schools for cleaning and for new uh, sink installation and things like that and PPE uh, before the return to school in September. But um, teachers in Cork say they are completely in the dark about what's happening in September. Anne Piggott is... Uh, uh, vice principal, I think. Hi, Anne. How are you? Hi, I'm actually vice president or today president elect of the ACI. Congratulations. That's what Thank VP you. in my running order stands for. Yeah. So, my apologies. Congratulations <laughs> no on that. Um, and I understand you're at a conference today, so we'll only take up a minute or two of your time. But at the moment, Anne, you guys have absolutely no idea what's happening with the school return. Well, I know our senior representatives, our Gen- general secretary and president, are at talks at the moment. 
I think guidelines are meant to be issued quite soon and all of us are really willing to hear what those proposals are. We're very much in the dark. Parents are in the dark, students, teachers, all in the dark. And we want to know what the guidelines are and what the plan is. Yeah, I mean, the e-learning and the um, all the, the tell that was taking place during the pandemic, that's not really sustainable in the long term, is it? It's not, and teachers would much prefer to be back in the classroom teaching their students. Um, the remote learning, it was so much work, it never finished. You could get lessons in individually from many, many pupils. Teachers were answering them separately. They were going to bed at 12 o'clock at night, getting up at 6 have material prepared for their first class in the morning and then on the other hand in extreme cases you had some students who weren't being involved or didn't have wi-fi equipment or computers and couldn't get involved Mm. Um, it is our preference to be in the classroom but we want to be in classrooms that are safe one of the things that michael mcgrath mentioned to me on the show this morning and i know you won't have heard it but one of the um additional funding measures he mentioned was for substitute teachers is there some huge pool of substitute teachers available that i'm not aware of well i suppose if teachers thought that they could have a a job for a year they certainly wouldn't head off to places like dubai or england to work and mm. um, there are certain there are shortages in certain subjects but that's because younger teachers are paid less than other teachers and because of increased workloads throughout the years. Um, if there were steady jobs available, I'm sure teachers might be available, but it, they might be hard to find too. And and also we have to consider if teachers are going to sub from school to school to school, yeah. I suppose in a way that's how the virus spread around nursing homes too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they might be if they, if they were paid for and guaranteed work. Yeah, so it's a question. I, somebody on the show the other day was suggesting that they um, be paid for the year, kind of a full salary, and then just uh, allocated to maybe two or three schools. I thought it was a good idea, but I don't know if it'll work in practice. Um, is What's your main concern, Anne? Well, my main concern is the health and safety of everybody at school, be it the students, the, the staff, the teachers. Um, the safety has to be the primary issue. We want social distancing. We would like students to wear masks. Um, some people have suggested that we um, that we have temperature checks on the way into schools. Mm. So it's primarily the health and safety of everybody at school and then consequently everyone in the community as a result of that too. Yeah, okay. And Pickett from the ASTI, uh, congratulations on your, your new role and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again throughout the, the year and as the news emerges on, on the school return, hopefully we'll catch up with you again. It's, um, yeah, for parents, it's just, it's so confusing. I mean, what's happening? When is it happening? Are they going back to school as normal? Are they not? I know there's an awful lot of people who are still juggling work and childcare and who foresee having to do that for quite a while if the schools don't open in the normal way way hopefully um i don't know hopefully they'll they'll be able to figure out some way of making this workable now tonight on RTE I think it's tonight um, there is the return of some familiar faces uh, The Young Offenders is back Friday nights 9.35pm RTE 1 Shane Casey is on the line and I'll speak to him just after this This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 6FM. Well, it's something we probably could have done with during lockdown was a good laugh, but never fear. Tonight you're going to get one because The Young Offenders is back on RT1 from 9.35 this evening. Shane Casey, a.k.a. Billy Murphy, is on the line. Hi, Shane. 
Hi, how are you? Not too bad at all. You've had a busy period filming the, this new series. Well, we had a very busy summer last year because we had to cram two seasons into one. So um, it was it was a, a busy summer. Oh, cripes. So it's that long ago that this was filmed? Yeah, it was last summer, uh, two of them back to back, you know. Right. So for you, it must be kind of funny doing the promo for it now, like given that it's so long ago you were working on it. Ah, well, you know, we were we were gearing up for it. We didn't expect that it was coming out this early because of the whole COVID thing. I think they're kind of... Um, moving things about, you know. So um, I think there's probably going to be a lack of content on television in the next six or nine months, definitely. Yeah, so you know, that's some, something that some struck me. That are, yeah, they're being moved forward, you know. Yeah, that struck me all right, because normally these things wouldn't air until September, would they, for the kind of um, the new season, usually September, October, is when they bring out the kind of big, big uh, belters, isn't it? Yeah, normally the case, normally the case. But um, look, I'm happy that forward now, I think. We were waiting for it long enough, and especially when you work hard on something, you know, you just want the public to get the best of it, and uh, um, it's time, you know, it is time, it's time for it to come out. Yeah, so this series, um, the boys are back, and of course there's a baby, a uh, baby star has arrived yeah, in we the had, series. We, we had two twin. we had twins on there, because that's generally how... I suppose you know yourself um, that one one kid will get tired and, uh-huh. and they can just slot in the other kid and it was great. Um, fantastic. I mean, the most professional kids I ever worked with anyway. Got a bit, yeah. And uh, who, yeah. who are they? Uh, I can't, I don't have their names at hand. I can't. I'll oh, probably get killed for that there now. <laughs> I know Alex um, Alex put up a picture of the two of them there this morning. So, I mean, they were really nice and their mum and dad was in as well. Like So, we, you know, it's just a case of um, are the kids ready and then we film, you know. So it, it was a really interesting experience. Yeah, it must have made it very different in terms of schedule because I do know like if there's a nap happening or there's somebody needs to be fed or whatever, nobody's doing anything until that happens. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of juggling around, but nine times out of ten they were great. I mean, they were great kids anyway, you know, but it was us during the scenes trying to keep them entertained so that we could keep the scenes going, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so they were definitely, they, they kind of knew, I think after a while they knew when we were filming that they'd kind of, you know, I, I suppose we'd increase our performance a little bit to kind of keep them in the scene, you know, but it, it was a great learning curve for all of us, especially as a three, I won't say I'm a young man, but the two lads anyway, as a young man, <laughs> dealing with kids, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was definitely interesting and great fun. Do you know, I have a feeling though Billy Murphy would be great with babies. Um, yeah, well, maybe we'll get into that at some other stage, but that's for Peter Foot to say, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would certainly be an interesting episode if he was babysitting. But, um, it sure yeah. would, yeah. <laughs> he, he's got enough to be doing in this season anyway. We're very lucky we've got some great episodes. Tonight's episode, as I think most people know now at this stage, the guys are kind of organising a bit of a heist and they decide to bring Baby Star along with them. So it was fantastic working with... Uh, Chris and Alex again and getting the opportunity to work with Dominic McHale who's an old friend of mine yeah. Sergeant Healy and to get to face off with him was a fantastic experience Oh, excellent. Um, because we look our, to our interactions have been kind of limited so mm. far but there's a a little bit more in the season and definitely a lot a lot to look forward to over the next few Friday nights Ah, that's great. I think people could do with a bit of a lift after all of it. Have you been, has business been, has been quiet for you throughout the lockdown, Shane, I'd imagine, yeah, has it? it has. Um, I think every, I, I'm, especially at the moment, I'm thinking about a lot of technicians on the, mm. on, on, on um, film sets and stuff like that. I mean, those electricians and 
and lighting people and our crew were fantastic and it really was a team effort last year and I'm just thinking a lot of those lads as well, you know, that they're not working at the moment. So yeah. hopefully that we can organise some sort of safe work environments and, uh, you know, I, I really think a few, a few more film studios in Ireland would really benefit the country, you know. Yeah. So um, safe filming environments are definitely needed but uh, I, I again, I, I also feel for my, my theatre buddies uh, who are you know, planning to do work and unfortunately right. things have been cancelled. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big money.